Edition of the Brawl of the Lions UK podcast, episode 248. We're goff to the playoffs. My name is Matthew Turner, back off injured reserve, along with Anthony Fitzpatrick, Ashley Soden, and our good friend Payo Time, Canadian Rams fan. How you doing, everybody? So good. Yeah. Yep, doing good, doing good. Yeah, I've been better, but it's the playoffs. With her, it's been three years in the waiting, so that trumps anything else at this moment in time. This is such a big game for us, and it's making me as nervous as it is excited. But I just want to get there. You're you're hurt, but you're not injured. That's that's what I'm saying. <laughs> exactly. I'm I'm battling through it. It's what us Brits do. Of course, we are here to preview the Lions' first playoff game since 2016, their first home playoff game since 1993, and maybe their first home playoff win since 1957? Is that right? Yeah. Oh, so it's a historic game, if, if, if. We'll break that down in just a second, but Peo, I'm going to come to you straight away for just a little bit of chat about you and your channel. Obviously, as in your name on YouTube, you are a, a Canadian Rams fan from from Nova Scotia. Just tell us a little bit about you and your channel and your Rams fandom. Yeah, like uh, like I was saying off screen, it's I started my channel uh, kind of just as a way to talk to other Rams fans, uh, just because there's not many where I live, and I love talking football. I love talking about the Rams. I host watch parties for each and every Rams game, and. I like to try, try, you know, try my luck at skits and, and things like that. And uh, yeah, I, I'm just trying to have as much fun on the internet talking about the Rams as possible. All right. We are going to get into the preview and the news in just a second. There's a lot of news to get through. So we're going to try and be brief with that. But it's the end of the season. So you got to do something, right? Uh, but we're going to do the little bit of preamble we always do. And please come and join us on our Discord channel because it's a really cool place to hang out with us. Uh, fans of all persuasions welcome. We've got a Vikings fan on there. We've got uh, a Browns fan on there. It's just a, a fun place to talk, talk ball. So link is in the YouTube and Twitch descriptions and on the live chat now. So come and say hello. College Football Podcast, and is coming up tomorrow. What are you talking about? Uh, so we're going through the Hula Bowl roster tomorrow. So basically all the All-Star games are starting first. First stop on the path to the draft. That's where you get to see some of these guys. This one, you get a lot of FCS guys, HBCU guys, guys you've not really heard of before. So we're going to break that down. Me and Ryan have picked out a load of guys that we're excited about, and we're going to tell you. So it'll be all about that, really. It'll be good fun. Uh, please don't forget to like the show, sub to the podcast, all of that good stuff. You know how much it helps us out. And don't forget to add Lions Nation Unite on the Facebook group, Home and Wars Project, to bring the best in Lions content creators together. We're Twitch-affiliated, YouTube monetized. There's a tip jar down below. So if you want to show some love that way, many, many thanks. Uh, just like our friend, 
uh, Jeff Hurley, who gave us a super thanks for our previous episode in the interim between now and then. So thank you, Jeff, for that. Much appreciated as always. And our merch store is open if you want to rep us like me and, and, and Ash are all doing with our hats and hoodies. And you can find the stuff in the link I'm going to post as well now. Right. News, people. And there's a lot of it, so I will be brief. Uh, PFF all-rookie team. We've got Jack Campbell and Brian Branch in there. But Gibbs did not make it over um, A-Chan, unfortunately. But A-Chan has had a an amazing season, so I don't think that's any big snub, really. Saul is PFF's offensive lineman of the year in the entire NFL. He is, I think, the highest graded offensive lineman, so that's not a surprise. But, boys, uh, any do you think Gibbs is a big snub? I mean, you know, I'm calling fake on that news because wasn't our draft class meant to be one of the worst of all time? We we can't have all PFF rookies if, you know, we've had one of the worst draft classes of all time. So that can't be right. But <laughs> in all seriousness, no, I, maybe, I don't think so. Like, Gibbs has been part of the rotation this year. He's he's worked his way in. Some of the other guys have, like, been starting all year long. And, you know, we, we all know Gibbs is going to be an absolute superstar, like, him and Monty are both over a thousand yards in a rotation. That's special. So I don't think it's too much of a snow. We all know he's going to be great. And, you know, he's just, he, he will be in actual all star teams in the next couple of years. So, yeah, that's all that matters. All right. Uh, there were two Rams as well, uh, Peo. So we had uh, Puka Nakua, obviously, and uh, Kobe Turner. Obviously, yeah. had absolutely fantastic seasons, and um, two of the reasons why a rebuilding team, as we were discussing earlier, is in the playoffs. Yeah, and and you know, in my humble opinion, Puka Nakua and Kobe Turner—they're the uh, offensive and defensive rookie of the year in my, you know, my books, and, and they've been a lot of fun to watch. Especially, you know, Puka—he's been lighting it up since the first game, week one, and I remember people being like, "Oh, like." he can't keep this up all year, like trade him now in your fantasy league. Well, if you kept Puka, you're probably pretty happy. He, 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 he balled out and set uh, NFL rookie uh, reception records in a season and also receiving yards. And then Kobe Turner, he's been, he got nine sacks from the defensive tackle interior position, which is very hard to do. And yeah, he's just been a delight. We nicknamed, or I don't know who nicknamed him this, but his nickname is the conductor. And so, like, if he gets a sack, you know, he'll he'll direct the choir a little bit. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I was watching the Giants game back, and I saw him do that a few times. Uh, yeah, yeah, he had a big game. Really <laughs> big, big game. Uh, just reading the PFF article, Pukunakua, one of six receivers to post a 999 deep receiving grade this season, which is just all manners of holy shit. Um, <laughs> so we've got that to look forward to. Um, yeah, yeah. We've got that news. Other news that we have, interview requests for Lions coordinators and, and personnel. So just to update you on that, Aaron Glenn, defensive coordinator, requested by the Commanders, Chargers, Titans and Falcons. And Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator, all of those teams and the Panthers as well. And because the Panthers fired their general manager... Mike Disner, the chief operating officer of the Lions, is requested to become a possible GM for the Panthers as well. Boys, we were expecting it, but is that more than you thought they would get? Because, I don't know, AG seems to have a lot of love, but 
people seem to still be out on him in Detroit. It's as I said in the Discord earlier, I think AG will make a better head coach than he, he is a coordinator. So to call back to last week, obviously he got named the best defensive coordinator in the league according to the football uh, the players union. People seem to have thought that that was to do with his scheme. It's because he's the best place to play for. He relates to his players. He's very good with them. Scheme-wise, perhaps not the best, but I think he's got that sort of thing where he will make a better head coach because of that than he is a coordinator. He can then put it out to other people to do the defensive scheme, to do everything else, and he can focus on being the overarching good just person to work for. So I completely expect it. Ben, obviously he's going to get all the uh, interviews because obviously it's always the big thing to have the next offensive young mind as our guest will well know with Sean McVeigh. Seem it's got some of the same connotations that and then Disner, I've been scared of that for a couple of years. Knowing that the back office like I do, he has done a lot for this back office. Obviously, when we fired uh, Bob Quinn a couple of years ago, he basically took over as a GM for the end of, to the end of the season. He stuck around. He's, been, he's respected well in our uh, front office and in the league. He was named in the Forbes like top twenty under twenty, uh, top thirty under thirty like five years ago as a prominent guy who could really rise in the football ranks. So we knew that this was probably coming. I just hope to God they avoid the Panthers because you do not want to be working for Mike uh, for Tepper, a guy who has a reputation for firing coaches after a bit tiny bit of uh, failure. You're gone. And we all saw that video of him chucking a drink over his fans. So what the hell is he going to do to the coaches and GM when they disappoint him by going against his orders, cough, cough, draft, uh, trying to draft CJ Stroud over Bryce Young? I mean... Good teams lose guys. That's that's where you want to kind of be at in life. You want to have a good staff so the other teams cover it and then you bring in new guys. And with us, you know, we're trying to build them in-house. We did with Ben. We bought him through in-house. We'll probably do that again. These are the problems you get when you're a good team. So while it'll be gutting to lose them, you would like to think that, you know, if we can make the divisional round or, God forbid it, the NFC Championship game this year, that they'd stay for one more year to try and go for it all, because, I mean, if you win a Super Bowl here, you can have any job you want, and it wouldn't be a competition for it. But if they go, you know, hold it against them all, like I say, it's, it, it's a good thing that people want these guys, and we will have the next guys ready to go. We have the right people right at the top. So, you know, I can feel comfortable knowing that we will get the right guys in to replace them. All right, a couple other bits of news. Derek Barnes welcomed a new baby called Trey to the family on Tuesday, so congrats to the uh, linebacker. Hopefully he's enjoying some time with his family before he hitting the ground running on Sunday. Uh, Jerry Jacobs, the cornerback for the Lions, who was a starter up until about a month ago, who then was unceremoniously benched for poor performance, then injured uh, on special teams after being benched from the starters, has tweeted out goodbye as about half an hour ago. So, we don't know what's going on yet. Uh, obviously, he's off the roster in some capacity. Now, mine and Ash's thoughts on this are that the injury is probably meaning that he's going to IR, and because that means you're out for four games, that's his season done, and he's not under contract afterwards. He's a restricted free agent. The tender, the minimum tender amounts $2.9 million dollars. I think that is borderline as to whether you want to pick that up. So it could just be that they've said to him, we're not going to pick that up and thank you for your service. I don't know, but cut him or IR him. Either way, it looks like someone is being activated in his place. Um, boys, we have been 
uh, not bandwagon Jerry Jacobs fans, I would say, because we love Jerry and his story and what he's done as a UDFA. And over the last couple of years, he's been fantastic from absolutely nowhere. But this year, after a couple of picks early on, his play declined. And this is a, a sad way for it to finish if it does go that way. Yeah, 100%. I know. Great story in that, but yeah, he just... He is someone you probably want as like your first corner off the bench rather than a starter. Like he's got the he's definitely got the attitude, got the swagger to play corner. He's got the physical tools. It's just the technical stuff. So one of his big fingers we saw, especially in week two against DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, is he really struggles with flipping his hips to follow uh, match receivers vertically. Teams knew that and they picked on him. He was look. I don't want to say he was lucky facing a Jordan Love when he was just getting started and still getting into groove of being a QB. But that's where like his most of his picks came from. Had a really good game there, and yeah, just unfortunately, it plateaued since then. Partly because obviously he's been asked to be a cornerback one two when he's really not that. Partly because the scheme just doesn't fit him. He's more of a man coverage guy. We've shifted heavily more towards zone, and yeah, it's just a combination of bad factors. And then put him on special teams because. The thing he was before he even became a starter was he was our starting gunner way back before injuries meant he had to jump in the starting lineup a couple of years ago and he balled out. He was a good gunner, gets injured on special teams and unfortunately he's just gone downhill from there. So obviously wish him all the best if he uh, if he managed to get him back as a restricted free agent next year as a gunner and like first, second guy off the bench. Great. Can trust him to do that role pretty well. But if he goes elsewhere for a starting job or whatever, I wish him all the best. Until he faces us, in which case, then I hope Alan Rob burns him for 200 yards and three touchdowns. <laughs> yeah, Jer- Jerry will always be a success story here. Like, he came in when the team was at its barest, had a lot of expensive corners, veteran corners who were not doing anything in this team. And he led by example. He came in, he worked his ass off, he got his starting spot, he had some cold periods, but then he'd always get it back again. And, you know, got nearly three years with him here at this point. And that's more than a lot of players do in this league, especially as an undrafted free agent. But now, unfortunately, we've gotten to the point where we are a playoff team. We are going deeper into the playoffs. And sometimes the calibre of guy has to improve. And naturally, some players are just outgrown as they go along. But nothing against Jerry. He is a very steady player in this league and he will do well in a rotation. I would still like to have him in a rotation here, just not as... A starter so much. I'd have him as corner four. He has special teams value greatly. He espouses the values of this team to the core in terms of the grit determination, in terms of, you know, been a guy who took advantage of an opportunity which he earned through hard work alone. So I'd keep him for it. But overall, I've loved having him here and I wish him nothing but the best. I really do. If it is his last stint here, because he's earned it, you know. He's just a plucky player who works his ass off and you want to see those players succeed. So... It's sad if he's done, but hopefully it's not the end for him. Hopefully not. Right. One more thing is injury related, but we're going to highlight it here because it's maybe the biggest storyline for the Lions right now. Per a locker room interview today, Sam Laporta took some blocking reps and ran some routes with Jared Goff in practice. He said to Dave Paquette and Kyle Monkey that he is optimistic about playing on Sunday, which would be absolutely huge for the top five in the NFL tight end right now. We need him on the field if we're going to win this game, I think. 
couple of other bits. One is specifically about Sean McVay and what he said about golf, and the other is just about all the head coaches that have seen the axe fall on Black Monday and the aftermath of that. So I'll go to Peo first for this one. Sean McVay acknowledged that he could have handled Jared Goff's departure better from L.A., saying... The further away you get from it, the more you try and go as a man, as a person, as the leader you want to become. He deserved better than the way it all went down. I'll acknowledge that. I think he knows that too. I'm not afraid to admit those things, but I think we'll all be better being able to look back on those things. And I do have more appreciation for him as time goes on. Do you think that that statement, I, I know that he's being asked the question because the game is coming, but do you think that McVeigh is very calculated about when he's making these comments? It's nice for him to say, but I wonder if the timing is just a little bit off. So I I am going to push back on that. On the, He's made similar comments to this ever since, I would say, two months after the trade went down. Okay. Um, this is like that terminology. You could tell he knew he was going to get asked about that a lot this week, but yeah. it, it wasn't new. It was like, if you've like, I've listened to almost every Sean McVay press conference in the past two years. Like that's not, that's not something along that language that I haven't heard before. Um, he's, he's been quite outspoken about how he's not proud of how the trade was handled. And you can if you can put you can put the puzzle pieces together when you get interviews with McVeigh, Goff, and um, Rams uh, general manager Les Snead combined with their uh, their CFO uh, Kevin Dimoff about how like so Stafford told the Lions he he thinks he'd like to get he'd like to move on and they could get a draft haul for him. And the calls came rushing in and the Rams were put in a situation because there were other teams like the Niners and Washington who were in on this Stafford trade deal. The Rams were the most organized, willing to make like to essentially get the deal done. And the speed of which it had to happen left the human element outside of it. Which which sucks for golf. It really sucks for golf the way they went down. And and I, to my understanding, McVeigh regrets that he didn't get to communicate to golf the way they would have liked to. Um, I know in golf in interviews he talked about how like he made McVeigh uh, have an exit interview with him, and and like like Andrew Whitworth tells a really cool story about how like golf said to him like yeah i'm gonna make him tell me why he's trading me to my face and big wit like said like you don't have to do that goff and goff's like no yeah i do like <laughs> and so i uh you know i i appreciate jared goff i had my frustrations with him as quarterback like most rams fans did he's someone i'll always cheer for uh, except for when he's playing the rams like on sunday uh, but uh, no, he, he, you know, you guys have been treated to the class act that is Jared Goff as a quarterback. Uh, very, you know, he, he's someone you don't have to worry about off the field, and he's very durable. He's been one of the healthiest quarterbacks in the NFL since he's came into the league and since 2016. 
I know he only missed one game due to injury for the Rams. Has he missed any for – he's missed two or three for you guys. Two yeah. Uh, yeah, which like week is seven to ten of his first season here. Right. Okay. So, like, when you think of it, like, for a long, like, 2016 to 2023, only missing like four games, <laughs> like, that's pretty impressive. But, uh, no, I, but going back to the point, McVeigh's going to get asked about those questions for sure. And those were talking points that weren't new from McVeigh, you know, from what I've heard. Do you guys want to comment on it at all? Because I I think Peo's right that, that he has made comments to that effect before. So I guess it's not new information, but I, I guess my point is he talked about it at length at this time, whereas he could have yeah. said, I, I refer you to my previous comments on this, but he went into depth at a time which yeah. is potentially sensitive for us. Yeah. So. No, you're it was rehearsed. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Yeah. Do you guys want to chime in? I respect it. Obviously, when it first happened, there were some rumours floating around that maybe there was a bit more of a... Uh, there were some personal reasons for why uh, McVeigh wanted got uh, traded. Obviously, we'll never <laughs> know the truth for them. It's probably not true what the rumours uh, were, but... Yeah. Um, but we, we won't bring those up. But it's I, I do give McVeigh respect for coming out and saying, yeah, I kind of did fuck up there. I did, I, like, I did treat Goffley badly. Obviously, we have to respect. Obviously, it happened quickly. He didn't get the time to do it properly. But yeah, him holding could be saying, if I could go back and I could do things differently, I would. I very much respect that because, yeah, for a couple of those years, perhaps in Detroit circles, because obviously we've got mostly golf side of things and we had this awe of him anyway from maybe some of the other things that went down around then. We did have the reputation, maybe the reputation McVay isn't the nicest coach to work for. Authentic, like scheme wise, great, great guy can really scheme up stuff. But when it came to the actual, like, sort of player personnel side of things, he wasn't the best. To see him sort of reflect on that after a couple of years of being a coach, sort of looking back and saying, hang on, yeah, this is, I need to, uh, if I could have done it differently, I would have done really good, like, sort of personal growth for him, maybe. And gives, at least in my eyes, I've got a bit more respect for him. I, I definitely had respect for the scheme side. Now, for the actual coaching side, a bit more respect for him. And I know that you have not been Sean McVeigh's biggest fan on this point. No, I've made my, I refer you to my previous comments. <laughs> I do Fair know. enough. Yeah. Yeah. You've spoken on it about before. Um, I'll just say one last, one last thing about it is something that I'm quick to remind people of is actually the Lions um, front office in this point of view, right? Because so tr the Stafford trade, you know, frenzy happened really fast. And you had all these teams offering draft capital. And the Rams were the only ones that offered the Lions a solution at quarterback, right? Uh, if if the Lions would have gone, like Jimmy Garoppolo probably would have been offered by the 49ers. But are you going to, I would personally pick Goff over Jimmy myself, but, that, you know, I digress. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like. There, there's something to be said about if you're a GM, you have all these teams that are offering you this huge, huge, you know, haul of a trade. And like Brad Holmes, he just got hired as a GM. He would love some draft capital to, you know, rejuvenate a, a pretty depleted roster. And so I think that there is 
definitely the element of like how Sean McVay and the Rams handled it. I, I am quick to also point out though, that like the lions, they could have at any point in time been like, you know what, we're taking our time. You know, we're, we're going to, you know, we, we want to hear more offers and stuff, but I, and, and Brad Holmes, I've, I've always appreciated him as a, you know, as a football executive and let alone it. I'm glad he got the, to be the GM of the lions, but like the, do you guys feel that like the the Lions kind of put Goff in that circumstance because the trade had to happen so fast? Maybe, but I think we're seeing it from our side. We were trying to just get Matthew where he wanted to be as soon as possible so he could settle in. So we were trying to do the best mm-hmm. by our guy because obviously he came. We could have turned around to him and said, no, you're not getting traded, but because we want to do the best by our guys, as you've probably yeah. seen. For example, um, when we had hard knocks with that last episode, you could see Brad and Dan literally sit down every single player that was getting cut and said, explained why. So, for example, the famous one is Tom Kennedy, where like he does like Tom Kennedy, sort of like our uh, bench chronic that you have, does a bit of everything, but is the most athletic guy. We're like, you've done everything you can, but we're just going with guys who have more upside. I think for us, we were just trying to do our best by Matthew. And then obviously when it came to Goff, when he came then, we tried to do best as we could by helping him settle in. So, but, yeah. so maybe it was just the case of because Goff wasn't our guy then, we didn't think about what well, maybe we didn't really think about it because we're trying to do best by Stafford. But as soon as Goff came through those doors at Allen Park and was our guy and tried to do everything he needed to do, we were fully in and then him settling in. For example, firing Anselin halfway through his first season here because him and Goff didn't get on promoting Ben Johnson because him and Goff did get on sitting down in the offseason, not this offseason, gone the one before Ben Johnson is saying to Goff, what do you like doing? So we started bringing in more of the play action concepts, more in-breaking stuff. So I think it's more because at that point, Goff wasn't our guy. We just didn't care, which doesn't care, which sounds horrible. And obviously kind of backs up your point, but I think it's just uh, we've got to think about our own. And as soon as then Matthew became yours and Goff became ours, those mentalities switch where like, okay, we don't mean you, Matthew, well, John Matthew, as Kelly likes to point out, his name's not actually Matthew or Matt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's John yeah. Matthew Stafford. Um, you know, we've done best we can. We've got the draft hall. Now it's our time to sort of build around Goff, and that's what happened. So obviously, maybe every side could have done something a bit different back then, but I think it's just we're all trying to do the best we could for the teams and the players, and it just Goff, unfortunately, was just caught in the middle of it, and he was the guy that lost out in terms of all parties involved. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. All right. I'm just going to turn it to the head coaches that have been fired, and then maybe we can talk a little Stafford-Goff trade before we then talk about the game itself. So, head coaches fired in the aftermath of Black uh, Black Monday. Uh, Arthur Smith is out at Atlanta, Ron Rivera at Washington, Mike Vrabel somehow at Tennessee. Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick have both been retired by their teams in Seattle and New England. Or Belichick, an amicable parting of ways where the team says, we don't want to fire you, please leave. And he went, okay. Uh, And Pete Carroll's gone and done the, um, oh, who was the Tampa Bay head coach who went Uh, after the Super One? Hmm? Wait, wait, sorry. Uh, so the Super Bowl win, he was the head coach. John Gruden. To... No. John Gruden. No. No. Um, they won the Super Bowl. Oh, Bruce Arians. Thank Bruce you Bruce Arians. Much. Sorry. So he's done the Bruce Arians because he's going to be like the executive above or whatever. Yeah, okay. I don't know. Anyway, so what do you guys think about the job openings? Were you surprised about the firings? Let's just 
have a general chat about stuff. I mean, Balachek was rumoured ages ago. And then the last three or four weeks, the narrative has been walked back that they're considering keeping him. And now he's finally gone. And Pete Carroll's way out there for me, right? Like, uh, are you as shocked as I am? Uh, Bill, known for a while, me and one of my friends who's a massive, over here, he's a massive Panthers fan. Me and him have basically sort of, well, at least I'm sliding more towards actually not now, but me and him are debating for a while that he might just go to L.A., sort of do what Tom Brady did, go somewhere else with a roster that's good enough to win and prove I can do it away from New England. And then obviously when he's done it, he's won that Super Bowl. He can go off into the sunset. So Bill, Bill I kind of saw come in. Carroll, obviously hoping for, because we all hate fucking Pete Carroll. Like the amount of times that, uh, especially our friend Ryan McCluskey of the podcast has said he wants to punch him in his chewing gum little face. <laughs> now he's gone so good and... But it's harsh on him at the same time because obviously literally the day before he's like, oh yeah, I'm going to be back here. Tells the players that next day, oh yeah, I'm getting put like pushed aside to the front office. It's kind of harsh on him as well that he's one of the GOAT coaches. He's one of three in uh, American football history to win a Natty and a Super Bowl. Yet he instantly gets overshadowed by the other two GOAT coaches both retiring on the same day. It's him in 24 hours. So he gets pushed to the side. Like he had his little moments uh, the press conference and instantly Nick Saban's gone, Bill Belichick's gone and no one really cares about Pete anymore. And then you have uh, the, um, Arthur Smith. We all knew that was kind of happening. Good OC, especially in Tennessee. Could see him maybe going back there, whoever gets hired there. Rivera, we all know that was coming as well. Good little rah-rah guy, but they need to move on. They need to progress now. And then Vrabel, we all heard the disagreements happen between him and the GM. He got told he can't. He needs to stop hiring his friends as coaches and actually do something. He wanted to also win now. They wanted to rebuild. So we could see that part in the ways. But Vrabel's probably going to enjoy his time in New England now because he's probably assuring there to be their new head coach. So at least he's going to land on his feet now. I'm so glad Pete Carroll's gone. I just... I Seeing him with his mouth lodged in a ref's ear trying to get calls every single play of every single game used to wind the hell out of me because you know he got some because he did that. He's one of the only guys who's just... I just can't stand it. I'm glad he's gone. I'm glad I'm done with him. With Rabel, I'm probably in a minority here. I thought he deserved to be fired. Like, that Titans team has regressed. He's going into year six this year. He'd have been going into. That Titans team has been regressing. It's looked really bad. That offense has been stale as anything for years. It's run it with Derek and hope that whoever's under center and your wide receivers can do just enough to complement and to win games. And he's not deviated from it. There's been no change. It's just been the way it is. It's looked horrible. It's looked turgid. He's been given Malik Willis. He's been given Will Levis. They've not done anything with the quarterbacks. They kept Tannehill on. I just think he's more of a dinosaur than Dan is because he, he literally refuses to change the way that he plays. I thought he deserved to get fired. And, you know, hopefully the Titans will get someone in better now. So I'm not surprised he went. I'm not surprised. I'm glad Carroll's gone. But yeah, there's a lot of lot of vacancies to fill now. Some of our guys might be them, so I don't know. We'll see. Hey, what do you think about Pete Carroll? Because you are intimately aware of who he is. Dude, I love Pete Carroll. McVeigh had his number, and and even before McVeigh, like Jeff Fisher and the Ram- the Rams have had the Seahawks number for the most part for the past decade. Um, I you know what Pete Carroll? I uh, I'll, I'll say this. He 
he's definitely, you know, had a, a great career for a head coach. I kind of just get the vibe. It was time for him to move on. Right. And uh, maybe he didn't know it, but the organization felt it. And I think a lot of Seahawks fans would even say like, this should have happened, you know, a year or two ago. And I, I think it was a shock to me because I truly believed that the Seahawks were going to keep Carroll as long as they had their current like team core, like with Geno Smith, with Lockett, with Metcalf, like as long as that core was there, they were going to keep Pete around. Now, clearly they're, they're, you know, they're making decisions. So that's why I was surprised. And I am really curious what they do at head coach along with all these teams. I, I think that's one of the most fascinating things in the NFL is, okay, your team's terrible. Let's fire your coaches. Let's see how you rebuild. Or, you know, if you have a coach that comes in and retools, or if you think that, you know, getting a new head coach is the reason why your team is losing the, you know, it, it's, it's fascinating to me I, I, for, in terms of coach variable uh, of the Titans, I think there were definitely some power dynamics in play. His, the Titans got actively worse when they traded away AJ Brown, right? And they've never really recovered. Like, you know, like you got, you said, their offense has grown very stale, right? Like, at times unwatchable. Like, if you're a football fan, and so I. I, I was surprised by it in the sense of, like, hey, he was coach of the year not too long ago. He, the Titans were the number one seed a couple of years ago. And now two years later, and, you know, yes, they, they haven't had a winning record in these two years, so it makes sense to move on from them. But I, I have no doubt he'll get a, a head coaching job again. Who knows where. And, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I'm excited for, uh, you know, Lions fans to get to experience – when you have a good team, your coaches get pilfered every year. And then it's going to be a, a test of Dan Campbell of, okay, we got to you know rework this staff. We got to find new people, promote from within. And I think that's also a testament of a good coach. That's something McVay has done really well in his tenure with the Rams. And it's going to be exciting to see. All right, let's talk a little Stafford and Goff because it is one of the narratives of this game. Obviously, it was only a few years ago that Stafford was sent to LA for Goff two firsts and a third in one of the biggest trades in, in recent memory, uh, to Sean Watson aside. And I, I think the argument is now well-worn that it's been a win-win for both teams with the Rams getting their Super Bowl and the Lions actively and, and successfully rebuilding to the point where they are a legitimate playoff team. And I don't think anyone argues with that, whatever the outcome of this game. So both sides have come out of it with exactly what they wanted. But just for the storyline of this game, Stafford returns to Detroit, as Ant said in his blog post, might get his first playoff win in Detroit as a member of the other team. Uh, I mean, the Lions obviously have their own history of the playoffs that I outlined at the very start of this in terms of home playoff game. Can they get their first win at home in the playoffs in 66 years? Which is a long fucking time. And, you know, Jared Goff gets to prove something to his old master. Um, he said the chip on his shoulder is never going to go away, but he's not going to let it determine who he is either, which I think is 
everything you come to expect from Jared Goff. I think everyone knows that. But just some thoughts from you guys about what this is going to mean to both players, because you've got to imagine, aside from actually going into a Super Bowl, this is potentially the most stress they're going to feel in, in any situation, because it's completely unique. I mean, I'm not here for the Josh Reynolds of uh, Revenge Game Erasure here. This is the true <laughs> narrative we should be talking about here. Right? I'm, exactly. I'm, I know, right? I'm salty you guys got Josh Reynolds back because the Rams put in a waiver request for him when you guys got him. See, because that's probably one of the first big takes I had roughly on the first cat is that we should have signed him initially for agency because I knew he and Goff had that good chemistry. Yeah. I, and I'm just so here. I, I love that guy, like, I'm so I was probably heard at the end of that game, everyone's like, why the hell are the Lions not kneeling it? Why do they keep throwing to Josh Reynolds? The fact we just kept throwing screens at him to get his like last 14 yards, we can get that incentive in his contract. Bringing him up for this game, I think, just giving him that confidence really coming. But it's just going to be big for so many reasons. Like the NFL script prices for this season, they crafted an absolute master plan with this game because there is exactly so many narratives like Brad Holmes and Ray Agnew obviously facing the team that they left to come here. All these different narratives, it's just, it's going to be fun to watch. And we get to see, finally, we get to finally answer the question of who won the trade. Because obviously, Rams won it in short term, winning the Super Bowl. Stafford got his ring finally. Arguably, we won it in the long term. Because looking at who we got out of that trade, you guys got Stafford. We got Goff, Jamison Williams, Jameer Gibbs, the Sam Laporte, Josh Pascal, Project Martin, Afatu Melafonwu. So we've got... QB, who was arguably turned around, stabilised and turned his franchise around. A potentially game-changing wide receiver who's finally hitting his stride of us. Arguably the one of the most hated draft picks in this season who has proven everyone wrong, especially after that first month where all the draft nicks and uh, fancy football nerds are like, this is why you shouldn't have drafted Jameer Gibbs high, why they're not using him. They said they're going to use him offensive weapon and now he's got over a 1,000 scrimmage yards, 10 touchdowns, him and Laporta are the only two NFL rookies in history to get a 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns in the same season as each other. Laporta, as we say, going to be a massive miss this uh, this week if he doesn't play. Pascal, second rounder from last year, coming off a sports hernia injury, finally warming up the past couple of weeks. He's one of my favourite players. Can't wait to see what he can do against your guys' O-line. Project Martin, probably the weak... I, I hate saying the weakest pick of the bunch because... He's someone we've drafted for the future in mind. He's going to be our future nose tackle, run stopper. And then Ifatu Malafanwu, one of the hottest players in the NFL this past month. That guy has turned from questionable outside corner, had some good moments, got injured, to now one of the best strong safeties in the league. Blitzing, coverage, run defence. He can do everything. So we can finally get the answer sort of like sticking the two, like both teams in sort of the boxing match. You'd be like, Whoever it's a death match, whoever lives, lives, whoever dies, so be it kind of thing. Could finally get the answer to quite a lot of the questions that were hung over both our franchises for like the past three years. I mean, I, the question was like about Goff and Stafford, wasn't it? This it's like clearly, clearly the bigger game is for Goff here. Like Stafford's gone and won his Super Bowl, and for Goff. This is everything for him, as, as I wrote about yesterday. I sort of went into this on a lot, but I'm, you know, the Rams, the Rams chucked him under a bus, sent him away. Sean McVay took zero accountability for that team's regression after their Super Bowl. He blamed it on his quarterback. And when Stafford went there, he goes, I've got a quarterback who I can win it with now. 
he said to Jared Goff he wasn't good enough to go and win when it really mattered. And now, three years down the line, that Goff has been able to rebuild himself here and that he finally looks like he's got his confidence back. And even in his, when he first came here, he says it's nice to feel somewhere where he's wanted. And he looks like he's about at the peak of his powers now from where he is. He had the really awful first season. We had the better second season. And we've overcome everything to get here where we are now. Not only for him, he's facing the head coach who let him go. He's facing the guy who replaced him and won a Super Bowl. So, you know, you could argue that what McVay said was true. But he's got then all the expectations of a city that has not won a super a playoff game in 60 years. It's not just about him. It's about the place he represents. It's about the team that he represents. And this is his old boss. If his old boss comes here and beats him, and effectively says, yeah, we were right to do all this years ago. I mean, that's devastating for him. Whereas on the flip side, if he can come into this week and lead Detroit to its first playoff win in forever, because the only quarterback alive who's won a playoff game for Detroit, it's it's vindication for him that he can go out there and do it when he has with everything on the line and maybe potentially take us even further. It's a chance to right a wrong that happened five years ago now. So it's all about Jared this week. Is It's not about Matthew. I'm glad he got his Super Bowl ring. We all are glad he did what he did. But if he loses this, no one's going to bat an eyelid. Like, they did what they needed to. For golf, it's going it, to... This is his legacy on the line here. It really is. This is the chance to win the last of the doubters over, over here and to show that he does belong in the conversation with some of the better quarterbacks in this league. So I'm just desperate. I'm desperate for him. I'm desperate for us. Like, he's been through a lot in his career. From college, from when he got to the NFL, from where he was dumped here with one of the worst teams in the league. And every time he's gotten back up and he's gotten to where he needs to be. So this is it. This is this is his crowning moment here. So this means everything to him. The staff, like I say, not as much. He's won his ring. The pressure's off. He could just come here, play his best ball. Try and upset us, and I just pray to God that he doesn't. Just yeah. to just to slightly correct, and Eric Kramer is still alive. Oh, is the he? last the last Lions quarterback <laughs> to win a playoff game in 1991. He he's still Eric. with us. I apologize. <laughs> Let it go, Eric. Payo, <laughs> uh, what do you think it means for Stafford? Yeah, I was just I really enjoy hearing you know, b- both your perspectives on it, especially from the the Goth narrative. I, you know, I think that any pressure that would be on Stafford is internal pressure. Um, I I don't believe, like like, and I rarely listen to his wife Kelly's podcast, but I had to. <laughs> yeah, probably for the best. <laughs> Every now and then, she talks about some some good stuff that's relevant, and she talked in detail about how she did not want the Rams to go to Detroit in the playoffs she she was hoping it would not happen praying it wouldn't happen but it did and that night Stafford looked up on the Detroit Lions websites if there were some suites still available that she and her and their kids could go to and so she just talked about like how like she had all these people from Detroit like reaching out to her and how like you know her and you know Matthew Stafford they grew up there, right? Like he got drafted there. They got married there. They had their family there. And so like, obviously they have 
you know, 12 years of emotion and relationships tied up there. And so like, I, I think from like Stafford is, is in a pretty good headspace of like, he understands like he doesn't expect to go in there and get like a homecoming welcome back Matthew Stafford video uh, like, like a lot of players would because this is a playoff game. He, he expects to go in there and he expects Lions fans to cheer against him. And I think he's done a better job of isolating that than a lot of other Ram fans think that he has. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think it means a lot to Stafford personally. And I think he would love to go in there and win a playoff game in Detroit, even though he's on the Rams. Like I, I, I do not expect him to, you know, if he were to lose this game, I don't think he was going to be happy, right? Like he's an NFL player. He's not going to be happy when he loses. And yeah, it's going to be interesting to see it. We, we've been, as you said, the NFL script writers treated us to a good storyline here. We go. Uh, just want to thank Grandizer12 on YouTube Grandizer. with the $20 in the tip jar. Thank you. Thank you very much, Grandizer. Appreciate you for putting us together as well. It's much appreciated. Let's, let's crack on with the Rams preview. Then we're going to look at the Rams in detail. We'll go overall, then offense and defense. Talk a little bit about the Giants game as the last game that the starters played. Uh, and then we take a couple of questions before signing off. So let's get on with it. The Rams are 10 and 7. Pro Football Reference has them at 9.2 expected wins, a slightly over expectation their season so far. Started off with a win at Seattle, a loss to San Francisco and at Cincinnati, a win against Indianapolis, loss against Philadelphia, win against Arizona, losses against Pittsburgh and at Dallas and at Green Bay, then a win against Seattle. At Arizona versus Cleveland, punctuated by a loss at Baltimore in overtime, I think. And then yep. a win versus Washington versus New Orleans at New York Giants and at San Francisco to close out the season. So they won six of their last seven games to get in the dance. Um, Peo, we were talking just before we went on air about the crazy season you've had. A rebuilding team beat Seattle in the first game. Obviously, a really nice start against a team that was in the playoffs last year. And then proceeds to kind of get behind the chains before come roaring back. They are now the form team in the NFL. Yeah, and and I'll say this. So it's been a treat watching every Rams game this year. I don't think they've played a full game of four quarters of good football yet. And like sounds like a Matthew Stafford team. <laughs> no, like and, and all we, Stafford has played lights out. Like Stafford, you know, the very few like misses here and there. Uh, he's actually played very, very well. He hasn't fumbled the ball once this year. He's the only quarterback in the NFL who has zero fumbles this year. And uh, with this, de the, the Rams defense and the Rams special teams, there's some question marks. <laughs> there's some question marks. It's been fun to watch them grow up because they are the second youngest team behind Green Bay in the NFL this year. And yeah, I a couple of those games, like you can always make that argument. Like I think of the Bengals game, the Steelers game and the Packers game Rams should have won those games. They, they absolutely should have. It just, there was one or two plays that didn't go their way. And so they ended up on the losing side of it, but no, they've been a really fun team. They almost beat the Ravens. They, you know, they took them to overtime and then it was a punt return that ultimately gave the Ravens the win. 
But no, they've been a lot of fun, especially later on in the year. We've kind of seen the Rams grow up right before our very eyes. And yeah, I'm excited for this game. It's going to be a fun one, as you say. The betting on this per Bet365, the Rams are 7-5. to five. That's about plus 140. The Lions are 33 to 20 on. That's about minus 155. Lions are minus three on the spread. The over-under is 51 and a half points. And I think the Lions over-under was the highest it had been in the NFL season against Dallas. And that was 52, 52 and a half. So this is a very high over-under. The Vegas bookmakers are expecting points one way or the other. The injury reports are just coming out now, so I'm going to refresh and see whether the Lions official one has come out. It hasn't. I will have a look at Discord. Tim Twentyman tweeted it. Yep, I've got it on Discord. So, the Lions on Thursday had Teddy Bridgewater taking a personal day. Otherwise, Jerry Jacobs, as we said, may not be with the team any longer, but he did not practice today and he was limited yesterday, Thursday for the time of recording, if you're listening to this after the event. Sam Laporta and Khalif Raymond listed as no practice. Sam Laporta's reps he got in after the actual practice, just individually. That's why he's listed as no practice today. The really big shock, especially considering Sam Laporta's status, is that James Mitchell was limited in practice today, which is a real hurt for us given the Brock Wright has been out and is only just returning now James Mitchell the only healthy tight end we have Ferks is on the practice squad again Ferks is on the practice so squad yeah we signed looks him back very then. likely he's going to be called up as the only healthy tight end we have uh, otherwise full practice for Brian Branch John Kaminsky Taylor Decker Graham Glasgow James Houston Frank Ragnow Cam Sutton James Williams and Brock Wright uh, turning to the Rams, I've not seen an update for them, but theirs is much shorter with the only listed people from Wednesday. No practice for the guard, Joe Noteboom, uh, free safety, Jordan Fuller, Troy Reed of the linebacker, and Robert Haverstein at the offensive tackle. Limited in practice, the guard, Kevin Dotson, and tight end, Tyler Higby. Uh, looking at the Rams, they're remarkably healthy with no one really of note on injured reserve, which is insane for this time in the year. And turning to the depth chart, let's run through that now. On offense, QB1, of course, as we've discussed, is Matthew Stafford with Carson Wentz behind him, who started the game last week as the part of the backup crew uh, and getting the big win against San Francisco. That was uh, really fun to watch, yeah. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Uh, running backs, Kyron Williams has been an absolute superstar this year. He's been one of the best running backs in the NFL in the last seven or eight weeks. Uh, behind him, Ronnie Rivers, Royce Freeman, and Zach Evans. Wide receivers, Cooper Cup, Puka Nakua, Demarcus Robinson, Tutu Atwell, Ben Skronik, Tyler Johnson, and Austin Tramwell. Tight ends are Tyler Higby, Davis Allen, Bryson Hopkins, and then the starting five on the offensive line, Joe Noteboom, Steve Avila, Brian Allen, Kevin Dotson, and Rob Haverstein. Behind them, Alaric Jackson, um, Coleman Shelton, uh, Tremaine Antrim Jr., and Warren McClendon Jr., who are names that I've never said before, I'm pretty sure. Um, <laughs> on, on defense, they play in a base 4 three. The three down linemen are Jonah Williams, Kobe Turner, and Aaron Donald. They're backed up by Desjuan Johnson, Bobby Brown III, and Laurel Murchison. And then the outside linebackers, Byron Young and Michael Hoyt, backed up by Nick Hampton, Sean Mathis, and Keir Thomas. 
Inside linebackers, Ernest Jones and Christian Rosewoon, backed up by Troy Reader and Jake Hummel. And then the back four, Akello Witherspoon, who I'm a huge fan of, uh, and Kobe Durant as the cornerbacks, Jordan Fuller and Quentin Lake as the safeties, backed up by Darian Kendrick, Russ Yeet, John Johnson III, Duke Shelley, Jason Turner II, and Trey Tomlin, uh, Jason Taylor II, sorry, and Trey Tomlinson. And then the kicker is Brett Mayer. Uh, kicker, kicker has been a fun, fun thing for the Rams this year. Punter Ethan Evans, uh, long snapper is Carson Tinker. Peo, looking at the Rams and looking at this rebuilding team that it is, how different is it to the Rams team, which was threatening Super Bowl victories, really? Is it one cornerback, one away, basically? Um... You could make that argument. I, I, I would say, like when the Rams made the Super Bowl run, they had a really good special teams. Matt Gay was our kicker. Johnny Hecker was our punter. And like right now, like I, I could go on and on for like hours about just how horrible the Rams special teams have been this year. Uh, they are currently on pace to be like the fourth worst special teams unit in NFL history. Uh, which is not something you want to be part of. Uh, we lead the league in <laughs> missed field goals. Uh, we have had technically three different kickers, if you include the uh, the training camp stint with Tanner Brown, then Brett Maher, then he got cut. We got in um, uh, Lucas Haverstick, then he got cut, and now we've brought back Brett Maher <laughs> from earlier in the year. So – uh, special team, like if the Rams lose because of special teams, that would not surprise me at all. Like, like that's the that's I, I am. Uh, it's very easy for me to say the Lions have an advantage there, uh, and so in, in that regards to like other kind of weaknesses about the Rams, they have given up the big play more than often than not at some point in the game, like. They would have destroyed the Ravens if it wasn't for the Rams secondary getting burned. Just like like they did a pretty good job containing Lamar Jackson, but like the just there was about three plays that the Ravens got them for these long, you know, touchdown bombs. And playing a team like the Lions, who you got Raymond, you got Josh Reynolds, you got St. Brown, if Laporta's playing, you got him. Not to mention you got two dynamic running backs in Montgomery and Gibbs, who I am scared of. Like, like I coming into this game, the Lions' offense is not the no-name Lions' offense of you know five years ago, right? Like there, there are names on here that put genuine fear in defensive coordinators, you know, sleep, right? So, I I'm excited to to see how the Rams' defense will approach this Lions' offense. I think that, you know, Kobe Turner and Byron Young have to have big games because I know the Lions respect Aaron Donald. Aaron Now, and bad news for the Lions is Aaron Donald did get a rest week because he didn't play last week. And Aaron Donald in his news conference today confirmed that he feels the healthiest he has felt all year. On the mic, I'm sure Penny Sewell will laugh in his face again. Though I look forward to I look forward to that matchup immensely. Yeah. And some general thoughts on the Rams. I mean, they've been an impressive team this year. Give, I mean, 
like at the start of the year, it was so hard to work them out. Like you won the Super Bowl and then you had last year when they were just destroyed with injuries and were nothing like the team they were before. And then we've sort of gone along this season and they've not really been a team that stood out like to us just in the general sphere of things. They've almost gone under the radar in how they've gone about their business. But then, you know, you've had the strong run of form at the end of the year and and they look really good right now. Like even putting Carson Wentz and the backups out against San Fran to go there and win when you're behind by a fair bit and to come out on top of that shows big mental resilience. They're not just their first teamers, but the guys who are backing them up. Obviously, there's some incredibly talented players there, no more so than the quarterback who we know very well, but like they've drafted out their minds, you know, considering they don't usually have many draft picks given that they all go to players there. I mean... I mean, is it you'll be your first first round pick in nine years this year, isn't it? I believe if I is it twenty? It was golf the last first round pick, wasn't it? It was. It was. It was. And so, I'm not. I'm not. I will. I think they're going to trade that pick. I'm not convinced they're going to pick. <laughs> I was about to say, do you know what day one of the draft is anymore? Because it's just like there's just been no interest. No, they're they're going to trade but, down. They're going to trade yeah, down. They're going to trade more picks no, as opposed I, to trading I, for a player. I think until they actually announce a Rams first round pick, I'm. I have no no faith in this team making a first round pick we're allergic to them it seems but but they'll go on it's like they've drafted out their minds recently like some yeah. of the guys you've landed on like Kyron Williams you've landed on was like not really high on anyone's running back list when he came out of college of course like Puka who you've landed on and it's so damn frustrating for me because I wanted him here so, 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 so badly. And he's been an absolute revelation, even more so than I did. I was one of his biggest fans, and he still surpassed anything you thought he was capable of. But, like, when you get genuine playmakers in like that, they just they just revitalize your team. They say when you had the run game last year, Henderson struggled a bit, and there was just no one who really took it out. Akers, of course, had his injuries. Now everything just runs so much more smoother. You've got a healthy offensive line there. You've got the playmakers, and you've got the quarterback to do it. And then on the defense again, you've got studs at certain areas of your defense that just raise everybody else up and, you know, make them good units. And they're coached well. You'll say they're coached well, apart from their special teams. But, you know, outside of that, it's it's well coached. They've got good guys. They're getting younger, more great young players in there. You, you've got to respect them for the job they've done. I mean, that's a hard division to get out of, like, still. The, the Seahawks are always a pain in the ass, as we know. Like, the 49ers are one of the best teams in the game at this moment in time. Even the Cardinals, they're not that bad now that Kyle is back. So you've got to be good to get out of there. You've got to be good to get in the playoffs from that scenario. So we can't underestimate them at all. And I am wary about some of these guys. Ash? Completely agree, and it makes sense that you've had to sort of turn around to late seasons because you said you've got 11 rookies who all made the team. It's going to take off them to bed in. As soon as they do, you fit the ground running. Like I'm looking through. I even forgot, and this is this is a cardinal sin for me as an FSU fan. I forgot you guys had Keir Thomas, who no, no one will remember but me. He was the guy who bookended Jermaine Johnson II in his absolute tear. Like This is a guy who's very used to being on this kind of team that maybe is overlooked, doesn't really get to think, has to fight for reputation. He's used to that, and he's a backup guy. He's someone you can reliably uh, fall back on if you need to. Wow. You're just loaded everywhere <laughs> with... Te- like, 
and you forgot and you forgot and you forgot about him Ash. there was you in and the you forgot about, about ACC eric kramer. star eric kramer who won the acc player of the year there from what year the Peach from Bowl. what year 1989 mm. <laughs> there we go that was since the year you're born I was in born. 1889 you should remember it and wow <laughs> i think we should make out. a drinking game of how whenever ash mentions fsu everyone drinks no, we'd be we'd be we'd, we'd be Andy dead. We'd be dead in ten thing. minutes. We'd be dead in ten <laughs> minutes. It's like doing the Collinsworth mention in Mahomes one. Dead in ten minutes. Yeah, yeah. Do we have Collinsworth on Sunday? Yes, we do. Yeah, yes. yeah. So the side yeah, arms. He's getting muted. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, if you don't want to listen to Collinsworth poor commentary, come and watch me, at, uh, Matt. <laughs> um, I have a, I have a trivia question for you guys. Actually, uh oh. Okay, it's about the Lions, about the Lions, because I found this out and I was shocked. So, Kyron Williams is the uh, the second running back that Matthew Stafford has had on his team to run for over a thousand yards in a season. Can you guys remember who the other one is? Yes, Reggie Bush. I'm. It must be. No. Automatic. Well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those things because we hadn't had a... Because th- Stafford had been here for a long time and we hadn't had a thousand-yard runner for a long time. He, he's the guy. Even though he wasn't... He had one good year and he's lauded by Lions fans as being like a saviour of the team for some stretch, but he he wasn't. He just had one really good year, but respect to him. I just think it's funny because when that stat came out, Rams fans this year were like shocked. of like, really? Like, Reggie Bush is the only one. Oh, we sucked. Like, yeah, but... let's make no, no, um, I don't hey, even know what the words hey, that I, yeah. I watched the 2009 Rams. I know what it's like to have a team that sucks. I get it. I get it. I'm not one of those. I mean, probably... did you watch the 2008 Lions? I mean, it's only a year before. Yeah, true. They're pretty bad. Yeah. And actually, yeah. I guess the only team the 2009 Rams beat with because Steven Jackson willed a win was the Lions. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Right, let's talk more about the Rams. Overall, PFF has this as the 10th ranked team. DVOA has them 17th. Uh, Offensively, both of them are 7th on both metrics. Defensively, 23rd per PFF, 22nd per DVOA. So despite the stars, as Peo has said, some questions about that defense. Matthew Stafford has had a, a good year, although by his standards, I would say the number of yards is lower than normal. Uh, 326 completions on 521 attempts, 62.6% completion rate, 3,965 yards. Of course, he missed a game, but he was taking 5,000 yards in two games. There we go. Okay, that's probably it then. So missed two games. That's why he's short. 24 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, 92.5 passer rating, 63.7 QBR, PFF grade of 85.9. Kyron Williams, the lead back, 228 carries, 1,144 yards, and uh, 12 touchdowns. That's 5.0 yards per attempt. And also 32 of 48 for 206 and three touchdowns in the air as well. PFF grade for him of 80.3. Cooper Cup, he's dealt with a lot of injury this season, so his yards are way down, but you must account for him. 47 of 70 for 495 and two touchdowns. PFF grade of 72.4. Puka Nakua, lit the league on fire this season as a rookie. We have the number one fan of his through the pre-draft processes, as Ash has said in Ant. Uh, 12 carries for 89 yards on the ground and 105 catches on 160 attempts his way. 1,486 yards, six touchdowns. PFF grade of 87.9. That's number one on the offense. 
Other good grades in there, the guard Kevin Dotson, amazing pickup by the Rams uh, for, for basically a bag of chips. Um, and tackle Rod Haverstein, 81.8. One poor grade to talk about, which is the left tackle Joe Noteboom, 52.9. So if you want to get pressure, go to the left-hand side of that line. Uh, Efficiency-wise, very good on offense, as you'd expect from a Lions and McVeigh-led offense. They are eighth on third down, fourth on fourth down, and fourth in the red zone. Boys, I'll come to Ant first. Rams on offense, Stafford-led, but Kyron has been just incredible. And then Puka and... You know, the tight end there is pretty good too. It's it's going to be difficult to stop them. Yeah. When both facets of your game run really well, then it just makes you a very dangerous offense. Like I say, he moves the chains, puts you in good positions to make plays. And then when you've got the receivers to go out there and do that, you're a very dangerous team. And I say these two guys, Cup and Nakua, can hit you anywhere. But they will also help with the run game. You know, the offensive line picker, Avila, has been, like, wonderful for them. Like, I saw some tape that was done on him the other day in his run game work, and it's it's phenomenal. And, like, all these guys, they've just created a, a great unit. You know, guys that will defend the run, that will block for the run first, they'll get that going, and then they'll go out and make plays. So you've got to be prepared for them on both sides. You can shut them down one way, and they'll hurt you the other, vice versa. So, yeah, as I say, just... With the level of playmaker you've got, they're going to be very dangerous for us. However, having said that, we've been pretty good at stopping the run this year against even the best of teams so far, especially when we win. We're really good at that. So it's going to be absolutely vital first. You've got to beat this Rams team in the trenches first and foremost and then impose your will on them. But, I mean, obviously it's easier said than done. So, yeah, there's not going to be an easy one for sure. But if there's a team that can do it, it is us. Hey, oh, um, that offensive line has has been the real thing which has turned around for the Rams compared to, I would say, the last couple of years. Steve Avila's come in. He's been very passable. Is, is he a rookie or is a second-year player now? Um, uh, he's a rookie. rookie. Yeah. yeah. And then Dotson's been a great pickup. So the interior of that line has been really shorn up and then Haverstein's having himself a season as well. Yeah, so a lot of people forget, like, last year when the Rams were just so injury-plagued, in the 17 games, they had 14 different combinations of offensive linemen. Um, And so, like, you're not going to have – they had so many O-linemen that were just, like, signed off of people's practice squads that started for them uh, just because they had to. So this year, the Rams did a really great job of, you know, getting healthy on the O-line and then also just, you know, drafting Steve Avila, trading for Kevin Dodson. And even, like, Joseph Noteboom and Elyric Jackson have been at left tackle. Elyric Jackson has had some injury issues, which is why Noteboom's been in there. But when he, there, when Jackson's there, the O-line is, is a lot better. Noteboom, towards the end of the year, he's actually been playing pretty well. Uh, he... It's Noteboom is he's one of those players that's really tough because you're cheering for him. They they were grooming him to become the left tackle of the future to replace Andrew Whitworth. But injuries have just sort of derailed his career a little bit and he's never really gotten to that level. And so Alyric Jackson actually beat him out 
for the left tackle position in camp. And then Noteboom's been kind of a swing offensive lineman. He's played in the interior. He's played on the at the left tackle position. So I'm I'm curious to see how how you know how he does. I'm there's worse left tackles in the NFL, but it I I do get nervous with him going up against like Aiden Hutchinson. <laughs> Ash, what do you make of this offense? Yeah, it's really turned around. The thing that actually scares me most about it in terms of run game is you guys run a lot of outside zone and we do a bit worse against that. Like we've been good overall in terms of run, but because we obviously stack the box in a way and try and focus on the inside stuff, the gap power schemes zone can sometimes get us. Like look at last week, it won't go up against the best running backs in the world, but Tri Chandler got decent clip against us. It's our weaker things, obviously stresses the linebackers, gets them going side to side. And while we've got Anzalone, Barnes, Campbell, and Rodrigo, who all have athleticism, they're better sort of going forwards and backwards of it rather than laterally. So that could really stress us out if you get to the edges. You, we might cause some problems, though. On the other hand, our corners have been get better against the run than they have against the pass. So maybe if you go too far to the edges, it might actually play in our favour because Kildor Vildor, who, again, we have the number one fan of in the world here with Ant, leader and president of the Kildor Vildor Appreciation Society. The reason he's been playing so well is because he's very good at crashing down on the outside zone runs, the screens and such against deep passes. We've seen it the past couple of weeks, most famously on the infamous 90-yard touchdown to C.D. Lamb that shouldn't have stood because there was a misholding. Um, stumbles because the speed doesn't catch up. So it really will be a case of if you can set up that outside zone early and the corners having to focus on that and turn the linebackers, you can sneak Puka and Cup and Higby and Davis Allen, who again was someone I liked in the draft coming out for Clemson. You can sneak those up and sort of play on us coming forward for the run and then sneak stuff over the deal, sneak stuff over the top where we can get hit deep because unfortunately for us, we are one of the worst teams at giving up explosive passes. Like I think, well, both teams are read that we're both in like the top well, the bottom five for giving up explosive plays in the past, uh, in the past game. So that's probably something we have to watch is who, uh, if you can set up that outside zone early and get the corners thinking of that, you can hit us over the top and it might just become a barnstorm for a game like you guys had against the Chiefs when Goff was obviously there, where it's just touchdown after touchdown. It's whoever fumbles the ball, throws an interception and gives the other team a chance to score again, might lose the game. Sounds like Lions-Vikings at the end of the game. As basically you're saying there. All right, let's move on to the defense. And uh, the, you are led in tackles by the inside linebacker, Ernest Jones. Six passes defended, four and a half sacks, 145 tackles, 14 tackles for loss, six quarterback hits, PFF grade of 82.1, which is one of the highest grades I've ever seen that we've played against for an inside linebacker this season. Uh, no tackle, Kobe Turner is the sack leader. Two passes defended, nine sacks. 57 tackles, eight tackles for loss, 16 quarterback hits, and a PFF grade of 83.8. Of course, you've got to account for Aaron Donald as well. I mean, the only reason he's not the sack leader is maybe because he took the day off. Uh, three passes defended, eight sacks, 53 tackles, 16 tackles for loss, 23 quarterback hits, and a team-leading PFF grade of 90.9. Akello Witherspoon is the leading pass defender with three interceptions, 14 passes defended, two fumble recoveries, 52 tackles, three tackles for loss, and a PFF grade of 64.3. And the safety Jordan Fuller has to be accounted for back there. Two, three interceptions, 
eight passes defended, three forced fumbles, 94 tackles, a tackle for a loss, and a PFF grade of 67.9. Other good grades on defense, uh, defensive tackle Brown, the third for 72 grade, and the cornerback Lake, 71.2. Poor grades in there. Uh, linebacker, inside linebacker Roseboom. That's his name. Christian Roseboom, isn't it? Um, 49. Jonah Williams, 55.6 of defensive tackle. John Johnson, the third, 55.8. In terms of efficiency, they're 18th on third down, 22nd on fourth down, and 15th in the red zone. So about middle of the pack in terms of efficiency, with which kind of just means that the rankings can be all over the place because they're sort of just your average team, but they're not an average team, Peo, because they follow the philosophy of have a few stars and fill out the rest of your roster. And despite trading away your star cornerback, you've kind of continued in that, but you've picked up some fantastic players. And I know Akello Witherspoon in the Giants game got burned for a big touchdown that never should have been. But other than that, I feel like he's had a terrific season. And then you have a look at the rest of the guys in there, especially up front, like Toby Turner, but also... um uh, Hoyt has had a terrific season. Byron Young's been fantastic. Aaron Donald's obviously great. But up front, you've just picked up guys who've been fantastic. Yeah, and I, I want to shout out Ernest Jones, uh, who you mentioned off the top of that, is he actually broke the Rams' uh, tackle, uh, most tackles in a single season record uh, in their franchise history, breaking James Laronitis's record, which is really, really impressive. And... Uh, I'll, I'll say this: Akella Weatherspoon has definitely been, one, you know, a fantastic free agent pickup for the Rams this year, and the Rams secondary, though it's it's it, you know it's ranked low, I would say it's played better the latter part of the season. Still, very much like a, an area this team needs to address and improve on in the off season. And I always say you can. You can improve a position group, either developing talent, drafting talent, trading for talent, or signing new talent. This is still very young secondary. Akella Weatherspoon was signing talent for, for this group this year, and that's definitely been a good move for them. I would every Rams fan, the most frustrating player that they would say right now is our uh, our defensive back Darian Kendrick. And he's been known for getting burnt. He's someone who likes to take risks. And uh, often this year, those risks have not paid off for the Rams, which is very frustrating. But, I, yeah, like this latter part of the year, they have been able to generate turnovers a little bit more consistently. It was very rare for them to get it. Like through the first 10 weeks, I think, I think the Rams had the lowest amount of turnovers in the NFL. But since then, they've kind of come into a middle-of-the-road uh, team in terms of generating turnovers. So, yeah, th this defense, they have some players that, you know, can definitely make some plays like Aaron Donald and Byron Young, Kobe Turner, Akil Witherspoon, Ernest Jones, Michael Hoyt, Canadian. Uh, shout out, Michael Hoyt. <laughs> but, uh, but they also have a lot of guys who are still developing and learning how to be consistent NFL caliber players. And so that's that's kind of where this defense is at. They've been fun to watch, you know, grow up before a very eyes all season. And I'm hoping that they're, be, that they're able to uh, put a good game in Detroit together. What about the rest of you guys? What do you make of this defense? 
I like it. It's as you say, it's got the star talent obviously with Donald, developed talent, well, well drafted talent to Hobie Turner, Byron Young, Nick Hampton out of App State. And it developed talent and it's a sum, it's better than the sum of its parts. And maybe that comes down to the coach of Raheem Morris, who obviously people might know remember from like Atlanta, great leader of men. He's kind of that sort of I should remember his name because he's one of my favourite coaches, the um, 49ers DC, who's getting head coaching gigs, uh, interviews Steve again. Wilkes. Yep, Steve Wilkes, yeah. That kind of guy where he knows how to create defence as well, the aggressive, and just our best some of their parts. We saw what Wilkes did with the Panthers, for example, where he came in and studied them. Morris is kind of like that, where he's coming to a kind of shitty situation. Obviously, like Brandon, yeah, Brandon Staley go and be the Chargers head coach and sort of take that scheme and then you start losing the star power. Morris has sort of come in and it's been a completely different since usually what he usually wants to use you an even front guy. But he steadied the ship, started developing their talents like Kobe Turner, which I loved him, bit undersized coming into the league, didn't know where he was going to play. And he's actually hit the ground running. Nick Hampton, someone we brought out uh, the lines ourselves, brought in for a pre-draft visit last year. We were thinking of converting him into an inside linebacker, a la Derek Barnes for us, which kind of went well, or going back even further, maybe would have how it would have went, considering how Hampton's played this year, a la Hassan Reddick with the Cardinals. You've managed to develop him into a really good sort of backup edge, Sean Mathis as well. It's just a good type of combination of those four methods of getting better in talent, combined all on this defence, obviously led by an all-generational star in Donald, who is obviously maybe not hit the heights he usually does, but that's okay because it hasn't really fallen apart for you guys because other people have stepped up. It sort of stopped being the Aaron Donald show and rather he's just the leader of a great orchestra with obviously the conductor right next to him and Kobe Turner. And what do you think? Well, it's a defence of two parts, isn't it? It's really good generally when it comes to playing against the run. You know, kept a lot of teams quiet, but it can be passed on. And it's, it's very vulnerable and some very bog standard passes have put a lot of yards down on them this year. And, and and that's where the weakness obviously is with it. You you go through the air against them, but you've got to get through that defensive line first. If you can hold up against those front four, then you give yourself a good opportunity to go make plays down the field. Um, but again, if you can't get that going and you've got to run it then you're going to struggle against them. And we've seen a lot of teams get shut out just because they've not really been able to get going at all and they just disrupt you and stop you from playing. So, again, it's you sort of look at this and it's it's a matchup that you would like for us because obviously we love to run the ball. If you can run the ball, you can keep those pass rushers out your backfield because they've got some very good pass rushers. And if you can keep them quiet... And then you can unleash on that secondary and you can have a good go at it. So you've just got to try and not get brought down into their game. Like if you if you have to really fight out in those trenches there and you're not able to wear it out, then you're going to struggle a lot against them. So again, like I say, you've got to respect them. But the matchup, I think, it, it is a good one for us. I think we do have the capabilities to get around them. So I want to talk a little about the Giants game. As I said, it's the last one that had the starters in, so I found it the most the most relevant conversation. And just to start off, I think the Rams should have lost this game. Like, yeah, we yeah they definitely should have lost. <laughs> I like they look really good as well. The Rams. It's not like they look bad, but just it, it was it was one of their worst games of the year, to be honest. Mm. Um, 
there was just a lot of bonehead mistakes. And not just, like, the Rams played, like, at times they played really good, but they had a lot of bonehead mistakes. But the Giants just would not win that game. Yeah, and Tyrod looked good as well. It wasn't that Tyrod was playing, but, like, Tyrod had several runs for, like, 30 yards, which were called back by holding penalties. And just, like, shooting yourself in the foot. It was awful. But just in terms of tendency breakers, obviously the Giants with Wink Martindale calling the defense, you knew that they were going to be very blitz-heavy. So Stafford starting the drive with four passes, two straight passes were just one-step dropbacks and throw less than a second to go before getting the ball out of his hands. So it was interesting to see how the game script started out because I feel like we could see something similar against us. Through four times to start the game, the offensive line, I think, started to look like it was struggling against the Giants' front to begin with. There were lots of um, play-action screens. I saw lots of not unlike what we do with Goff, and I think it's a hangover of what Goff used to do in LA and the fact that we've collaboratively come up with him to try and do what he feels comfortable in. So play action, tight end screens, running back screens, wide receiver screens seemed to be a really big thing that they were doing. And I don't know if that was matchup related because obviously you want to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands against the Giants. But they seem to struggle against blitzes all day. And I mean, there was um, two sacks by, by O'Kerakey who just, it was really well designed by the Giants in terms of the blitz itself, but completely unblocked just coming up for the sack. So I'd love to see the Lions coming in with something similar where they're misdirecting where the pressure is coming from. Can Glenn do it? Not sure about that. Um, Stafford had two picks on the day and both were just bad throws. One was overthrown um, and picked by Belton. Another one was thrown behind the receiver and picked by Belton. It's just, you know, you'd you'd love to have those back, but I don't think that's a... uh, repeatable thing for Stafford there was also a forced fumble which uh, Dory Jackson forced with a Tillman punch on Demarcus Robinson otherwise the Rams seem plagued by drops all day and I think that's actually been a feature of the Rams all season to be honest that they've been a victim of drops not unlike any other team in the league I'm sure but it seemed to especially be a thing here um and then the other thing was just when you were running Kyron it seemed like your your run Um, blocking seems a lot better than your pass blocking. And I don't know whether that's borne out by your experience. Pear, what do you think? Uh, I'd say game to game. Um, Consistently, the run blocking has definitely been better, but there has been some amazing performances by this O-line in the passing uh, Mm -hmm. game this year. But I I, want to make sure that the Rams also missed uh, two extra points and a field goal in this game as well. So I just... Please, you know, friendly reminder, our special teams uh, struggle. Yes, special teams struggle is is interesting. I was going to mention that in just a second, as well as the Giants missing an extra point and then encroachment on defense for the Rams on the extra point to tie the game, allowing the Giants to go for two and then having a layup to score two and missing it. Like, oh, my God. Um, On defense, just Donald Turner, Hoyt and Young causing huge issues all day. They were caught out by a wide receiver reverse by Wondell Robinson for a touchdown, which was basically the same play that Jameson Williams ran earlier in the year where he turned into Super JMO. So if I was the Rams defense, I would be keying in looking for that play because I'm pretty sure the Lions are going to try and replicate that. So have a look out for it. Um, Turner was unplayable. I think he had three sacks on the day, maybe two and a half, but incredible. Um stint by him 
interception by Fuller in the two-minute drill, just a safety help over the top, and he read the throw perfectly. Um, one thing about Kobe up front that was especially true in this game, and I don't know whether it's been a thing all the way through, is that um, you have the other defensive tackle that's not Donald crashing into Kobe's guy and really trying to push his guy into Kobe's guy so it effectively creates a pick for Kobe to come around the edge. And that was successful all day in this particular game. Is it something that you've seen all year that they're trying to get Kobe available in space or kind of almost scheming him open as a pass rusher from the interior? Um, That's hard to tell because, again, like I, I can't stress this enough. Kobe Turner earlier in the year was like, okay, this guy looks good, but like not like superstar. And then something happened after the bye week where Kobe Turner just turned into this monster. Um, so I don't know if that was Raheem Morris and the defensive coaching staff being like, hey, you know what? We have to scheme a little bit more for it. Um, so all year, I, I guess I, I can't say I've seen it, but it definitely on this latter part of the season, he's he's been you know phenomenal. Uh, otherwise, what do we have? We had Hyatt had a big catch where he bodied Kobe Durant, but it was set back by a holding penalty, much like a lot of big plays for the Giants. They struggled to contain Tyrod with his legs. Big run late to get the Giants into field goal range, which they ended up missing because from a 52-yarder, they ran it and it turned into a 54-yarder for Mason fucking Crosby. What are you doing? Um, that was really frustrating. Of course, the Lions aren't going to be threatening the Giants with the quarterback's legs, unless a certain backup quarterback for the Lions was not practicing this week and suddenly Hendon Hooker is QB2, which I'm just throwing out there as a possibility. <laughs> because Teddy Bridgewater had a personal no practice today, and I no one knows as far as I know why he had a personal day in a in a in a in a playoff week. That's really interesting. Huh? It's really weird. So if Hendon Hooker is QB2. I want to package for him as someone who can burn them with his legs. Even being the running back on a play, taking a handoff, I would love to see some trickery there because Hendon has got the speed and he can also throw it if you want to throw that trickery in there too. Um, yes, so special teams. Ben Skoronek blocked a, a field goal attempt and the flag was thrown on him. But on Wrong. the replay... On the replay, I didn't see him touch anyone. So frustrating. It was perfectly timed, and yeah, they... They rushed. botched the call. Yeah. Yeah, so you're allowed to jump over the line if you don't touch anyone, which is the most bullshit rule I know. Like, why does touching anyone make a difference? I, I don't... I don't understand. But he didn't touch anyone, and he got flagged anyway. Um, as you say, you missed two extra points and and uh, field goal, but the kicker was cut after the game. Giants also missed an extra point and then missed a two-pointer. And you also gave up a pump return touchdown of 94 yards, which was a heck of a play by the Giants. And I don't think that's indicative of you being bad in there, pump There return. was a missed... There, there def, you could argue there was a missed holding call on that, that play, but yes. It... Mm. So that's the review of the most recent relevant game, at least. So let's um talk key matchups. And we've kind of hash this a little bit already but sorry and i was supposed to say before you do obviously you just mentioned the giants game but i don't obviously you watch these guys every week but going back to the super bowl that they won it's felt like most weeks 
in the Super Bowl they were there. They'd get leads and then they'd struggle to put the games away. And then you watch them this year and against the Commanders, they had a big lead, struggled to put the game away against the Giants. Big lead. They seem to get to these big leads, but then they don't seem to know how to put games away. And that seems to have been something that is going on through the years. Is there something specific that's driving that? Because like say, this Giants game was there to be put away. The Commanders were there to be put away. And for as long as I've been watching them back to there now, it seems to have been an issue. Is that something specific you've noticed? Is there anything driving that? That's very astute of you. And yeah, it's definitely noticeable. In a lot of the Rams wins, they'll like blow out a team, win the game in the third quarter, but then in the fourth quarter, the other team has like an opportunity to like make the game look closer than it is. And in some cases, steal the game. Um, It's, it's tough to say. Some of it, I definitely think, is at times Sean McVay in his play calling can get quite conservative when he has the lead. And there's an element to like, okay, you have a two-score lead in the fourth quarter and you have the ball. You just want to you know, milk as much clock as possible, right? And... If you get a like, if your offense goes three and out, and then your defense, you know, gives up a a big play or a long drive, and all of a sudden it's a one score game, well, the whole game is different now, right? And so that's definitely been you know something that's been noticeable, and I'm I'm hoping that you know we we don't continue to play that way. It a, a criticism of the Rams, and earlier you know Matthew, you mentioned that the Rams, they, they've kind of been a quiet team this year. And I think part of the reason it's quiet is they really haven't blown anyone out. If you look at their scoreboard, right. Where, but like, like that commander's game, the Rams won it convincingly. Like the score is a little deceptive where like the Rams outplayed the, the commanders. Right. And so there's been a couple of other games like that, like the game against the Cardinals, um, you know, they both game against Cardinals were probably closer than what they could have been. So yeah, I, I don't know exactly you know why that is, but it's definitely kind of been a, a, a signature of the, the Rams the past couple of seasons. But great question. I only say that because like our speciality is fourth quarters. So it's yeah. kind of it I, just seems it just seems odd how they look so good for so long and then it just like yeah. the momentum goes. Because I remember during the Super Bowl run, it was like it felt like they were trying to give games away some weeks. They were just giving possession after possession after possession. You're like, just kill it. Just just one good possession and you can kill it. And then the games I've seen this year, I'm like, I feel like the same. I feel like I'm just saying, go and kill it. And they don't and, go and kill it. And if for some reason that's the formula to getting, you know, your team, it, it might have something to do with like getting your team out healthy, Right. Um, and, and, you know, the Rams have been accused of being soft at times. I don't expect that. Like I expect the Rams to play differently in the playoffs and, and even like Aaron Donald, he talked about in his press conference today, he's like, I made sure everyone on the defense knows you have to play every snap. Like it's your last snap in the playoffs. Uh, you know, that, it's, it's a different intensity, different level. And yeah, I, I'm hoping that if the Rams are able to get a lead, they keep it the whole game and, and. I, uh, I I don't think that's going to be how this game goes. I truly believe this is going to be a higher scoring game. We're going to see some points, and I I think it's going to come down to who has the ball last. 
All right, let's come on to key matchups. And I just I mentioned it earlier, but I just want to talk Aaron Donald versus Penny Sewell because they had the kind of bust up the last time they played with Aaron grabbing Sewell's face mark and Sewell laughing in his face. It was it it it's something which I don't think is just a one-off. I do expect there to be some sort of an adversarial thing going on there because they are two alpha dogs who feel like they're the meanest motherfucker on the pitch so are you guys expecting fireworks there because donald in a in a three four formation if they play base is going to line up outside or inside of of salt potentially so you're gonna see that a lot maybe it depends whether he ends up as left defensive tackle right to be honest, they, move, they move him around they move him around so they'll to bonus they're probably going to put him on the our left hand side aren't they Looking at how our offensive line is these days, well, against Jonah be- and, and Decker, and, and Decker, yeah, because Jonah hasn't been having the best of seasons. Decker, he's good, but can he handle the speed and power of Donald? Like I've watched Donald a lot because one of his signature moves is a sort of ripsism move, which is really for someone who's supposed to be that powerful. He's so quick with his arms. I think that can get Decker as well. Like Decker's been vulnerable on his inside shoulder as well. So I find Morris and McVeigh. If I want to win the game, I'm lining Donald mostly up against Jonah and Decker, which is sad because obviously we want to see the Donald Saul battle again, like we have. We wanted to see Hutch versus Worse when we played the books earlier and uh, early in the season. Sometimes you've, as much as it would be great TV to watch, you've got a game plan to win and the foot. So we might get a couple of snaps of it, which in which case I will be trapped to my tablet watching it. But I think for the most part, unfortunately, it's going to be. Donald just absolutely tearing Jonah Jackson a new one. Fair. Okay, let's let's turn our attention Sorry. to different sides of the ball then. So Rams run offense versus Lions run defense. Uh, and Lions run defense has been one of the best in the NFL. I think we're total second or third in the league in terms of run defense. I, I think there's only been a couple of hundred yard rushing games in there against us. But the Rams' run offense since week 12 has been top three in the NFL, and Kyron Williams has been lighting the house on fire. You know, it's it's his house right now. So can the Lions stop Kyron Williams? I believe so. And again, you just sort of have to look this year because we've come up against some very good run offenses this year. And for the most part, as you say, we, we've dealt with them. We've dealt with some of the best in the league and it helps now that we have our centerpiece back in the middle of the line helping out like having a lean back was blatantly noticeable the other day he had several tackles for loss blowing up the interior there and the guys the guys feed off it like Pascal's beginning to play well as well and I said we have problems when they go out to the edge yeah we, we do but more of those guys on the edge are starting to come and make plays against this now because they're fully healthy. They've got the guys they can rotate in and we've got the linebackers to come up and help as well. We're starting to blitz the linebackers against the run as well as the passer. So I believe there's a way that you can... I believe that we can stop them. I mean, obviously, any given day, he is good and that offensive line is good and you may struggle against it. But I've watched this team all year. And I've watched them turn away most everybody who's come up against them. Teams have had to get creative against us in their run game. Or they've had to establish the pass first so that we lighten the box up a little bit and start trying to protect the secondary and then run it on us. So it just depends. I mean, 
Sean McVay is, is an offensive genius. I've got no doubt that he's got something planned to to get that run game going. But I believe in the interior. I believe they can do their job. But you're right. It's very key. If you can stop them and you can put staff under pressure, like I know people say staff's great under pressure. He is, but he also makes mistakes under pressure as well. That's where you start getting the picks. That's where you start forcing the errors out of him, which will turn the game for us. So... I think we've got it for me. I do. Peo, let me read you out some of the Lions' run defense stats. So the Lions have conceded 100 yards on the ground five times this year. The most, or the first and third, were against the Chicago Bears with Justin Fields. Second was against the Baltimore Ravens with Lamar Jackson. Uh, 146 for them, 183, 142 for the Bears. Then you got 113 for the Saints, 109 for the Packers, and everyone else was under 100 yards. So Saints, I mean, Carl's mobile, but not that mobile. Um, and Packers loves fairly mobile. So you can clearly see where our weakness is. And uh, I don't think that's an issue with Matthew Stafford, and we know that very well. He is a a quarterback who will take the yards when they're there to take, but he's not going to go rushing of his own accord. So when it comes to the run game, we've done well against teams that don't have a quarterback like that. Do you feel that Kyron Williams is the guy to get it done in that scenario, given given that fact? I think that Kyron Williams combined with Ronnie Rivers are the backs to get that done. Um, good change of pace back in Ronnie Rivers. And also, the Rams' run game is also extended in their... like. Again, you'll see almost every play, if not every play, a receiver's or a tight end go in motion. And it's always to have that threat of a sweep, right? And, you know, you know, similar to what you would do with Jamison Williams, the Rams will do that with any one of their wide receivers. And so I it's the Rams, you know, zone run scheme is unique in the sense of it it operates a lot in trying to get the defense to be misdirected to one side or the other side and then either go the other way or go that way and their scheme blockers there to in order to generate you know a push so i i'm excited to see you know it's going to be a big challenge for the rams in this run game but they've they've you know they ran the ball really well against baltimore and in cleveland who are two of the better run defenses in the nfl and so i'm i'm optimistic that you know, Kyron Williams and Ronnie Rivers will be able to get some yards in this game. And Kyron Williams in the red zone has been just lights out this year. And, you know, sometimes people forget that, like, he got injured, I believe, week three against Arizona. And then he came back week 12 from injury against Arizona. And that's when the Rams offense really took off and, you know, I'm, you know, I'm just so thankful for the development he's had here in his second year. Ash, what do you think? Who's got the advantage here? We do just about, obviously, of those teams you named as well, to go back to them, four out of five use the outside zone scheme. Admittedly, we faced them all in the space of a stretch of like four weeks. With uh, So maybe it was just a combination of injuries and just constantly going up against it. We just had a bad day. But so then we turn to turn it around because then obviously we play them. We play, uh, then we play Denver. Uh, is it Denver only give up eighty three. Then we come up against Minnesota, 
obviously head coached by the former Rams offensive coordinator, Kevin O'Connell, and we only give up 17 yards on the ground. Obviously, last week, we come up against him again, 89, so maybe to found some things out. But we have shown over the last four or five games of the season an ability to adapt to the outside zone. As Ant says, Pascal coming on really helps on the edge because he's a really good run stopper, really sets that opposite edge against Hutch, which makes it easy for the linebackers and the corners to do their thing on those kind of things. So I can see, I can probably see Kyron probably getting the same kind of yardage to try Chandler did. But if the game goes how quite a lot of us probably think it will wear because the explosive play is given up, as we'll get to in a second, it might turn into shows out both teams might, well, we might have to abandon the run game and then that's all they'll get. They'll probably get about 80 yards. So will we. It's just a matter of maybe who can have that ball last scored and then just run down the clock. All right, the other side of the offense for the Rams, their passing offense, their receivers, their quarterback against the Lions, back seven. So you're looking at Stafford throwing two Kyron Williams out of the backfield as well as Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua. But Demarcus Robinson still looks like a live wire back there. And Tutu Atwell is still a second-round pick who can do things. And Skoronic will appear when you least expect him. Um, that's all I can say about Skoronic is you'll forget about him and then he'll hit you in the face and you're like, oh, you're still here. Okay. Still plow <laughs> for a reason. Yeah, he's he's fun. I'd love to have him on our team. Just I think you he's do. the best. He's on the practice squad. Well, yeah. Yeah, I know. But he's not on our team though, so true. <laughs> anyway. Um, and the Lions back seven, I mean they have been burned, as Ash said earlier, for explosive plays time after time. They have given up over 300 passing yards in each of the last three games. And yet, Ash, I'll come back to you first. Lions pass defense has also tightened up in the down-to-down aspect of what's been going on. The explosive plays have been hitting more often. But with increased pressure up front, the Lions have been getting takeaways and they've been getting lots of pass breakups. So it's a live by the sword, die by the sword situation. And they've started, you know, doing that. So it's on a knife edge, but this is one of the better offenses on a head of steam right now. So who's got the advantage here? The Rams do. And I'm going to say my catchphrase. I say it at least once a show, don't I? I'd rather be in a third and six or third and four, whatever, third and short than a third and long. But because for some reason, when Do you we mean get that the other way around? Hunt, yeah. Oh, so you want to be in third and short? Sorry, I yeah, want to be yeah, third yeah. and short. Yeah, because whenever we get into third and long, the team spans skips. That's when the big plays happen. Like, look <laughs> at last week, third and thirty, we give up a massive play to Johnny Munt. Like what? For some reason. <laughs> We're good on first and second down. We can stop the short like passes underneath. We take, get a, like a sack or something, get them behind the sticks. Third and long, we're like, okay, here it comes. We might get a chance to get off the field, free and out. Nope, 40-yard pass to Justin Jefferson, that kind of thing. So it really it really will come down to us living by the sword. We need to get more of those takeaways with the pressure that then we give up the big plays because... Unlike the past couple of weeks where, yeah, we've given up a lot to Justin Jefferson and C.D. Lamb back-to-back. Like C.D. Lamb setting career-high and Dallas Cowboys record for receiving yards in a game. We managed to hold everyone else in check because the Cowboys, yeah, okay, they had Brandon Cooks. 
and uh, Jake Ferguson managed to hold him in check. First time against Vikings, TJ Hawkinson, Jordan Addison managed to keep in check. KJ Osborne got a bit of play against us last week. Just Jefferson again, but everyone else got held in check for the most part. We can't do that against you guys. You've got another outside receiver who can, like, you've got Puka can do the same things as Cup. You've got guys in the, the tight end with Higby and Davis Allen who can do things. Kyle Williams at the backfield. It's just too much for us to be able to hold in check. If we just focus on Cup, Puka's going to get free. It's just going to be impossible. So we have to focus down and actually guard well. We, if we double link one player, we've actually got to do it because that's been another symptom in the past couple of weeks is we're bringing Iffy in who's just getting used to being a safety. It's his second year doing it in the league after being a core in the first, playing for college in the first year. Kirby, who I love him to death. I'm the president of his fan club. When we go to Detroit uh, next year, we've got the new unis. I'm guessing his jersey. He's a very much definition of die by, live by the sword, die by the sword. He's either getting a spectacular interception or he's giving up the big play because he's gambled. CJ GJ just coming back off a of torn peck. He's not maybe fully not up to game speed. I know we got the interception last week and he's saying, oh yeah, don't want more interceptions. We've got two more banners to hang and he's got those ugly, disgusting Florida Gators cleats he's going to be wearing on Sunday. Like, can he do it? It's going to be, he's very much going to be a case of can the safeties actually help the corners because Cam Sutton, while he's another a guy, as you said, you, know, you said earlier, we developed a little bit of talent. We signed him to improve our corner room. So obviously you guys got a swift spoon from the Steelers. We got Sutton. Witherspoon's turned out to be the better signing because Sutton, again, great cornerback too, but can't hang with the wide receiver ones. He's going to feasibly have to go up against two wide receiver ones this week with Cup and Puka. So can he hold it down? Can Kendall Wild or Khalil Dorsey, Will Harris do stuff to help because we can't let you guys get the big plays because otherwise it will turn to a shootout. And again, whoever gets the ball last, we don't want that. We want to be able to control the uh, tempo of the game, use our run game, use our dominance in the trenches and it turn into a shootout just won't let that happen to us. And what do you make of this matchup? Because I think you talked about the hat needing to win in the trenches, but I think this might be the one if the Rams can really dominate in their passing offense against our past defense, which has given up so many explosive plays recently, that could be it. But we've dialed up a lot of pressure and that's caused a lot of stress on quarterbacks and that has generated turnovers. So for the yards we've given up, we've also put ourselves in good positions too. So it's a bit of give and take. That's why we've got a win at the trenches because they can kick our ass in this matchup. And I, I do genuinely believe that. Again, you look at the kind of receiver they've, or the kind of offensive weapons they've drafted. Like Davis Allen comes from Clemson. You've got to be very physical. You've got to be very dominant there. Puka, you come from BYU. You've got to be very dominant. Again, very physical. You're blocking all these aspects. You've got Higby in there. You've got Cup in there. Again, small school guy, you have to prove yourself. You have to do all the dirty work. And coming up against our secondary, our corners especially, like, they've been disappointing. Like, like let's, let, let's say it quite frankly. Cam Sutton's been a... He's not at embarrassment level yet, but he's not been great. And he's meant to be the senior guy in there, of course. We'd never have Mosley, but we're cycling through guys left, right and centre. And if you've got these guys fighting for targets, you've got these guys having to get physical with them, they're more dominant than we are. That's the sort of players that they have. So I don't like it, which is why you know winning the trenches is so vital for us. You've stopped them running it. 
then you can stop putting them in situations. Because if they're getting second shorts, third and shorts, they'll beat our guys off the line of scrimmage. Like They'll out-hustle them. They'll get those yards they need to, and we'll be in a lot of bother. So I, I don't like the matchup, quite frankly, because as I say, I, I really admire the receivers they've got. And I've just watched Jordan Addison destroy Cam Sutton. I've watched Cam Sutton get destroyed two weeks in a row now. He's given up 260 yards and a touchdown on 17 receptions. He's been targeted 19 times. The dude's getting rinsed for breakfast. Kindle is struggling. Like, it's not his fault either. He's been left on an island to it because the safeties don't have a clue what they're doing because they're not communicating with one another. And, like, what is the really smart thing that Cup and Nakura and that do? They're very smart in finding the gaps, finding the space in the coverage. And if our guys can't talk to one another, they'll find that space. So... I, I honestly don't like this at all. If it becomes a passing affair for them, like you just move it, passing it through the air, we're going to be in a lot of bother. So again, that's why we've got to win the line of scrimmage, force them back and put them in situations where the guys can hold up long enough. I say maintain the aggressive approach for us as far as... Nick Mullins has passed for 800 yards on us in two games. We've won both games. Like, I don't care that we've given <laughs> up all those air yards. Like, the pressure creates turnovers turnovers win games them not running the ball means they can't get time of possession on the clock and they'll get tired out eventually you you wear them down that way like because that, that you know that's the advantage of coming up against a passing team they'll, they'll not have the ball that long because they'll just cup and mm -hmm. score and we have the ability to go down the other way but I, I don't like the matchup at all like if that's a big win for them we're in a lot of bother i mean it sounds like you're just talking stafford ball to me uh, my it lasting is. memories of Stafford, fourth quarter comebacks and throwing pick sixes to edges. Those are my two oh, lasting oh, memories. Yeah. Where, did he, where, did, where did he throw most of his picks that made us infuriated is when they were getting pressured. Teams would just yeah. unload on him. And that was when the pressure was Sorry, <laughs> So especially like, again, two stuffed runs, third and 11, third and 12, he's toast. Like that, that is what used to be the case for us so many times. That's why we've got to do that, not give Nakua and Cup time to develop their routes, to be able to find that gap. You've just got to get straight after him and be and put him in bother. So, yeah, that, that that's the thing with him. Heyo, what do you make of this? Do you concur with the guys? I mean, it sounds like we're thinking Rams have a big advantage here, potentially. Yeah, I, I. I don't think at any point this year I've thought, oh, the Rams' passing game was off today. They, they've had some, like, quarters or moments where, you know, okay, Stafford wants that throwback or, or something like that. But there hasn't been a game where I've thought, like, oh, like, maybe the Rams need to consider moving on from Stafford. No, Stafford is the Rams' quarterback. Like, as long as he keeps playing at the level that he's been playing at, which is a very high level this year. Um, I'm so, so glad that, that Stafford is the Rams quarterback right now. And I'll, I'll be honest with you guys. I, uh, I'm really excited to see Cooper cup. He's been battling injury all year. Uh, it, you know, a shameless plug Cooper cup is my current favorite player on the Rams. Uh, it's, it's, it's been tough because people have been trash talking him this year, even though he's been playing through injury. He's still such a phenomenal receiver. I'm so glad that they sat him last week to get him two weeks of rest. And I am, you know, Puka rightfully so will command a certain amount of attention. But I can't help but think 
you know, Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup in the playoffs two years ago had a historic quarterback to wide receiver run. I would love to see you know that that duel come back and uh, and, and light up the scoreboard in, in starting in this game. And so yeah, I, I'm I'm excited to see it. Uh, on that same note, like I'm nervous with Goff and his you know arsenal weapons. You know St. Brown, Raymond, Reynolds, Laporta. Like no joke. I think any one of those players can take over a game for the Lions as well. And and I, I fully respect that. So, which is why, again, I, I think it's going to be a game we see some points. Point Stephanie sound at the order of the day. Let's go over to the Lions offense and the Lions run offense in particular. The Rams rushing defense. Let me have a look and see how they've done in terms of total yards against. So, rushing yards against... Uh, in the last five games, 139 against Baltimore, 79 against Washington, 35 against the Saints, 105 against the Giants, and then 125 for the backups against the 49ers. I mean, in all, since the bye week, they've been very stout. Going back a bit further, 87 against the Browns, 73 against the Cardinals, 68 against the Seahawks. So, boys, the Rams front seven are stout against the run. I mean, the Browns love to run the ball. We know that. Uh, we know the Seahawks have invested massively in the run game. They got 68 yards. Um, the Saints have obviously got Kamara. They had 35 yards. The Giants had Barkley, and they only got 105 yards. And I don't think you can read anything into the backups in San Francisco. So, But we have one of the premier rushing offenses in the NFL, two legitimate running back ones, great run-blocking offensive line. This is, to me, strength on strength. So, let me go to Peo first for this one. What what do you make of this particular matchup? Yeah, I... With this Rams defense, I just don't know. Uh, I, I We do pretty well against the run. However, if I'm thinking through this year... I don't know if we faced a true, you know, thunder and lightning combo backfield with Montgomery and Gibbs. That and, and you know that's something that definitely you know I'm concerned about. My, my I'm not super concerned about them, you know, running up the up the gut, you know, in the middle of the field, but it's bouncing to the outside, and especially Jameer Gibbs. He when he gets to the outside and he makes that first defender miss. If that second defender doesn't tackle him, it's going to be a big play. Um, and, and like at least the first down, if not more. And so I, you know, coming to this game, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. A healthy degree of nervous. And what do you think? Um, this is the time where I turn into a complete homer. So, I apologize for this here, but no, no, no. I do. I back our offense against anybody, okay. and I back them against anybody because the amount of weapons that we have here now and the ability for us to to change to a game situation. So I know Laporta might not be fully fit and ready to go, but you you look at the last game against the Vikings. We didn't really need to run the ball in that one. We saw nothing of Jameer Gibbs apart from his touchdown, but we didn't need to. Because Amon Ra had a 150-yard game and was absolutely fantastic. But then you look in weeks prior, 
Jermaine Gibbs will be the primary offensive weapon of the day because we'll run him down someone's throat. We'll find success with it. The same with Monty, the same with J-Mo. It's, we've got so many guys we can turn to to do so many different things. J-Mo is in form now. Like, he's found his way into this team. The deep threat is there. His ability, you know, we're using him in the run game. We're using him in motion. We're getting people out there. And the run, the O-line is healthy. It has been for several weeks now. And in the second half of that Vikings game, because this is why I wanted the starters out there, because they they have been a little iffy the few games beforehand, but it looked like everything started coming together. The offense was playing well, and it was moving the ball consistently. It got the points it needed to. was working in lockstep with the defense. I just think that we've got a lot of weapons in the Arsenal. We're in the playoffs now, and I think we're going to see Ben unload a lot here. So I just... I just back us with the guys we have. We have so much and we have pretty much everybody healthy for us. So, you know, their D-line is good. It's great. But again, we have the guys to leak out quickly, to get the ball out of Goff's hands quickly, to get them to sit off a bit. And when that happens, you get your run game going and then you hit the deep ball to J-Mo. I just, I feel like the offense is catching fire at the right time. So for me, I think we're going to put up some points, but conversely, they can do exactly the same to us as we just mentioned a minute ago. So I've been entirely pro us here. Ash, I can see us getting some work run up, uh, run up the middle and on the outside. Run up the middle, we're going up. Uh, we've got the league's best center. I don't care what some people say. Do love to ask, uh, Jason Kelsey, but Frank, he's playing with. Nine toes, loads of injuries. He's got his head, every single week. He's listed on the uh, injury report with a head, shoulders, knees, and toes injury because he's everywhere is hurt. We've only ran for less than hundred yards in three games. Two of them were when Monty was out earlier this year. So against Tampa Bay, forty yards, and against Baltimore, eighty-four. Tampa didn't really need to do it. Got it doing through the pass. Baltimore, obviously, with the game script of what happened, couldn't really run the ball, and that was Jameer Gibbs' breakout game anyway. And then last week against the Vikings, where it was a pass through the air, burn their secondary game script thing in the fourth quarter, where we couldn't really run the ball. Every other game, we've ran for 100 yards, and that's against some really good de- like really good defences. Like Packers, for example, that's a defence. I know, obviously, it's coordinated by Joe Barry, who is the worst defensive coordinator in NFL history, and I'll keep saying it. Got first-round talent all over that place. Kenny Clark, Quay Walker, all these players. We ran all over them. <coughs> Matt I have faith. Yeah, Matt, yeah, exactly. Well, Matt, uh, at least Matt Patricia had one good year. <laughs> he made the best You're play. You're about he to say one good play, play there. <laughs> exactly, one good play. Exactly, the best fourth-quarter play in a Super Bowl ever. He made it. He made it. I have faith that we, and the way that Ben is, especially with the, Run game, I know obviously kind of did screw up a bit against Dallas, doing all those slow developing trap runs against every speedy defense. The way that Ben schemes up this run game, he mixes it up so much. I think we can get stuff going. It might have to be a bit, as you say, a bit more running on the outside to get in Graham and Jonah pulling to do outside zone stuff. But we're good at, we're just as good at that as we are running it up the middle with Monty. And then, of course, we've got our like secret weapon back off IR recently with uh, Jason Cabinda, the fullback extraordinaire. So, and then, of course, and Matt's going to ex- face palm even more if we get down to the uh, goal line. We still have our secret goal line play to play. Shut we haven't up. Used it. <laughs> Shut up. We're not going to fullback run with Aline McNeil. It's not happening. 
<laughs> one of these days. He was a running back in college. I will see it one of these days. <laughs> college or high school? Was he in college? Yeah, was at college. He did. Have, um, Ant can probably look it up and get the exact numbers. I think he played a couple. He got a couple of snaps at running back in college because they obviously do like the extra jumbo sets, don't they? But he definitely did it in high school, and he was also an outfielder in baseball as well. So he's got the mobility. Why not we used it? He's undefeated against Florida State, so that's all I know. Oh, Big Aries says, "How dare you speak poorly of Joe Barry? Keep him Green Bay." And I think we all can agree with that. Um. Let's move on to the final side of the ball, which is the Lions passing offense against the Rams passing defense. And having a look at what the Rams have given up through the air recently, 175 yards against the 49ers. We throw that out because of the backup status of the game. Last four games otherwise, Ravens was 310, Commanders 218, Saints 304, Giants 284, all in wins for the Rams, apart from the first game in overtime against the Ravens. So in games they won, they're still giving up, apart from the Commanders game, fairly hefty numbers through the air. And we've heard that, you know, they are prone to the odd big play here or there. And and Ash, I'll come back to you first. The Lions passing offense is a top five unit in the NFL, but... Sam Laporta is banged up. Even if he plays, he's going to be hurt. He's going to be on a snap count at the very, very least. Khalif Raymond is probably not going to play. He's probably oh. out. So, the Lions are behind a little bit. But in JMO, who's starting to really come on fits and bursts, Josh Reynolds has started to pick up the slack where Sam Laporta went out, Reynolds went and got it done. And the team loved him so much, they played snaps they didn't have to last week. Had people going mad saying, why are they running plays in the last 30 seconds when they can kneel down? And it's like, because they care about Reynolds getting his bonus. That's how much he means to them. And then, of course, Amon Rasant Brown, the pro bowler in spirit that he is. Um, Ash, do you think that the Lions have the advantage on this side of the ball? Yeah. For a couple of reasons, obviously, Jemo coming back is going to be so useful to us. He wasn't there last week. Him coming back after double ankle sprains, it's come out. So we all knew about the right-hand one. We saw that happen. A couple of steps later on the exact same play, he sprains his other ankle. So this guy's recovering from two ankle sprains, but supposedly he's fully back from that. That's going to add explosive element to our uh, offense. I mentioned him earlier. If the team thinks that they need someone consistent at the wide receiver position, well, we have our better, we have Dan Campbell's best friend sitting on the practice squad, Mr. Reliable himself, the former lacrosse star Tom Kennedy, sitting on the practice squad, ready waiting. This is why we kept him around because he's a consistent, reliable guy. He might not be the most athletic guy in the world. He might not be the tallest guy in the world or the heaviest, but he's got a reliable pair of hands and the team knows exactly what they're getting out of him. So a I could pair see... of hands in terms of 75-yard passing touchdown. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, exactly. And that as well. I was going to come on to the trick plays <laughs> for the explosive stuff because we haven't really seen that this this year, especially on offense. We've seen it on defense. Well, Alan like... Rao tried it once. Yeah. That was, yeah, once. And it, that was, that, but that was an explosive because that was in the red zone. That was just that was a bad play call. But It was a bad play call. It yeah. was a really bad call. But we have the advantage because, yeah, Laporta might be out. James Mitchell's obviously got the hand injury. But... I have faith we can Ben knows enough to scheme around it. We've got, we've got remember Ben is a former Titans coach, obviously he used to be a quarterback and such. He will know how best to utilize Brock Wright when he's back, put him on a snap count. 
might even see Jason Cabinda, Malcolm Rodriguez play a couple of snaps there, especially on run blocking. It will come down to Amon Ra in the slot against uh, Lake, and it will come up again, and it will be how well can Reynolds and J-Mo win their one-on-ones on the outside because you've obviously got to respect Amon Ra. I mean, the Vikings respected him so much that they decided for uh, Harrison Phillips in the middle of the third quarter last week, decided to get on top of him and try and give him a little massage with all of his 320 pounds pressed down right on his chest. Can't wait to see the size of the FedEx fine. He's going to be getting from Raj this week. You've got to respect Amon Ra, and that's going to give us a one-on-ones for J-Mo and Reynolds. So it's going to be that those outside one-on-ones, and then can Amon Ra get his over the middle? Because that's where this offense works. The only players to have gotten more yards in terms of in-breaking routes in the league this year than Amon Ra are Tyreek Hill and Puka. Those are the top three. Amon Ra is, and well, obviously Laporta, but now definitely Amon Ra is going to be fundamental to how this offense works because we all know Goff is best on play action and in breaking routes. If you take away the play, uh, the in breaking routes of Amon Ra, it will have to go to those outside one on ones. Can he trust them in one on ones? We'll have to wait and see. And then obviously, if you take away the play actions, we get uh, as we said with the run game, there might be some issues. We've got, we've got to have that consistent game from everyone to set it up well for Goff, because if you guys can just tee off against us with Kobe and Donald, we're going to be screwed. If we can get Jame up from running on a go route or a corner post like he has against the Vikings the past couple of seasons, we might be able to, it really will come down to who can establish those kind of things. Hey, what do you think? Yeah, I'm... Uh... I'm nervous. I like like I said before, I, I'm I'm nervous. I think that Okay, I'll, I'm I'm gonna say this about Jared Goff, and I, I don't want this to come across as as you know bitter or anything like that, but like Goff did not have in his last year at the Rams, he had some real stinker games. He his final game though, he played very well uh, or sorry. He played really well in a playoff game to beat the Seahawks, even though he had a bro- like a, you know a broken thumb, and he came in there and he he outdueled Russell Wilson uh, in the playoffs. And then his final game against the Packers was kind of lackluster. I think that in a weird way, Jared Goff is the Lions' you know biggest asset in this game, but also biggest liability at the same time. And, and 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 you could say that about most quarterbacks in any game, but I do think there's something about this one where if Goff has one of his games where you know he's fumbling the ball a lot, or where you know he's you know I know you guys get annoyed with the Stafford pick six from the past. I get annoyed about the Goffer or the Goff fumbles because he used to fumble it all, all the stinking time when he was with the Rams, and. Again, he, he, he's he's developed into a much better quarterback, you know, at this point in his career. You, you know, he's he's tightened up his game a lot. He's still one of the the best arm talents, in, you know, in the world. But I do think that if Aaron Donald and company can get pressure on him, I think that the Lions receivers could be neutralized in this game. And they might not be able to – have their big play explosive offense down the field if they are if they have to go where they're just throwing everything underneath everything underneath and 
yeah, it, it'll it'll be interesting to see the Lions get Goff in a rhythm early in this game because I think that's going to be important for the Lions if they're if they're going to win this game. But I'm I'm hoping that the Rams' pass rush will make life uncomfortable and yeah, hopefully uh, ho- hopefully the Rams get the win. And is it time to be a homer again? What do you think on the Lions' pass offense? Hey, I always try and be relevant to both sides, but I mean with us. Like, our passing game, I think we're going to be just fine. Not to disrespect Lagota, like, our best player, but there have been nine games this season he's not had over 50 yards receiving. The great thing about our offense is it can... I think people are blowing it up too much. Everyone's like, oh, no, the port is out. We're doomed. We're going to lose. It's like, no, guys, come on. You can lose weapons. one tight... If you, if you kind of operate without one rookie tight end in your team, you're not really meant to be in the playoffs. It is not the be-all and end-all. And again, I go back to the point of we've got that many playmakers that we've got people who will step up in his stead. Like, we need a guy in the slot. We bring Jameer Gibbs up and play him in there. We've seen he's able to do that. We've got Amon Ra, who's one of the best slots in the game, like, full out there. We've got J-Mo, who's going to be back healthy on the edge. We've got weapons and we've got depth. You know, James Mitchell's had one limited practice with a hand injury. Probably taking it easy because we don't have that many tight ends at this moment. Brock's going to be bad. We we have the weapons and the versatility to get around that. As for Goff, I, you know, he's back to playing some of his best ball again. And even if he's pressured, we saw the thing the other day, he's got the third best rate in the league, the third lowest sack rate in the league when under pressure. He's not the Jared Goff who arrived... And that, that's the thing with him. He's not the Jared Goff who arrived from L.A. We saw what you saw when he first got here. I think it was five fumbles in his first three games, a few interceptions in there as well. It was in that first year it was, but then obviously towards the end of last year, start of this year, he had one of the longest interception free streaks ever. He's had his little run this year where he's thrown a few bad ones, but he's back to where he is. We remark all the time how good he looks under pressure at this moment. He's confident. Mm. He's slinging the ball and he's not making boneheaded mistakes either. As I say, the ball protection's there. He's throwing it away smartly, quickly, not putting it in harm's way. So from that point of view, I think that we should be all right as long as the run game can get going as well and doesn't put it all on him because, let's face it, most quarterbacks struggle in that situation, but... I like our weapons still. And I say, Josh Reynolds didn't really see much the other week. Again, this is why next man up, bring him in, get plays out of him. So, again, this the Rams defense has struggled against the pass. Like, that's a fact. And we've got good play, we've got good players to be able to expose that. So, again, I like that matchup personally. And, again, I, just, I feel like Koff's due like a career day of some form. I think he's really going to show out here. Like when he played the Bills on Thanksgiving the other year and we thought, mm, going to struggle a bit. He played really well in the big pressure. So, yeah, I think it's going to be good for us. Not that it makes any difference at all to how this game is going to go, but considering both Lions coordinators are up for other jobs, there is no bigger audition for them both than this game because they're going to be challenged on both sides of the ball. So, you want to get a job, go and ball out. Go and do it looking forward to it if you've not seen the show before if you are a rams fan who's joined in because peo is here welcome um we are going to close out our audio show in a second sorry i mean you've done head to heads 
Yes. And we've got the king of this here, but are you not going to mention special teams on special teams? No. That kind of feels like a very... Well, no, because it does feel like a very relevant matchup to this week. Because, I mean, remember the last time we played the Rams when we went to SoFi two Ooh. years ago? Well, and we had we the, pulled the off fake two, We pulled That's off two pretty... fake punts. We pulled <clears> off <throat> two. We had the CJ Moore run, the 30-yarder. We had Fox, who threw a pass, which converted on there. And we saw the value of our special teams against Minnesota. Like, Fox was banging them into the five, like the five, not even the ten. He was nailing them into the five and putting them in situations. Khalif, I know he's not going to play in this, but we've still got good returners on our team. The guys block, the guys operate really well, and we're getting the shorter fields in terms of us. And, and you know, and as Peo said, their special teams are struggling. I mean, like, we're both struggling kicking. Like, okay, let's just make this a game where... Two point conversions for touchdowns all day. Yeah. I, think, I think that's what we should I'm do. Okay no, with that. No, no, kick. no, no kickers are allowed. Just two point <laughs> conversions all game. But you know, I feel like that's a very. I think I feel like we have to mention that because if we move the field position around in our favor as we did against the Vikings, that will be big for us because they've made a lot of big time mistakes there. Don't forget the noise is going to be astronomical here. It's going to be very distracting. It's going to be very deafening. Like, I feel like that's something we have to mention because FIP's on a roll at the minute, and that's something you've got to exploit. Does anyone else have any thoughts about the special teams apart from that? Uh, I'll, I'll just... Oh, sorry, Ash, I'll just say... No, you, you go, you go in, and I'm gonna, I'll go into the returning game because I've got a I'll, few I'll, candidates. I'll just say this. So the Rams, punt returner, uh, Austin Trammell, like, I call him the touchback master. Uh, any excuse to have a touchback, he will take it. Um, and honestly, I'd rather he fair catch it and do nothing than actually try and return the ball. Um, that's kind of where I'm at. I like if the Rams special team is boring and doesn't like see the field that much. That's a good good day for the Rams special teams. That's fair. That's fair. It's just obviously as I mentioned with Leaf being out. It's a bit of an issue because I expect we saw him finally come into it last week because he said two massive returns. Then unfortunately gets the knee injury that's probably going to rule him out for at least this game. We've obviously got James Williams, Jimmy Gibbs have both been mentioned, but supposedly they're not in the competition. It's going to be Amon Ra and Khalil Dorsey and then potentially former USFL special teams player of the year, Maurice Alexander, who's sitting on our practice squad. So we have options there. So help. I could I can see this game so I see on the on uh, special teams again though we've even, we even I might dare I say because we saw it week eighteen against the Packers a couple of years ago I know Decker missed out on his touchdown a couple of weeks ago we might be able to replicate that again just something if if Dan feels like it is that kind of situation where it's going to be a shootout and he needs all the advantages you can get. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna get the sort of we're, uh, we're gonna get that, and the crowd's gonna be going loud like they did last week when Skipper did it every single time. I'm not, I'm not just feeding myself. I am reporting eligible. It's in his eligible. <laughs> Finally, after a couple of weeks out. Yeah, it's. I can see that could be the edge, and I've been saying it for, uh, for ages. As and points out, I'm the, like guy who always talks about special teams. This is the situation now where this special teams is going to be the edge. This is why I kept trumping on about it for years now because we're at the situation now where we need every single little. 1% margin of victory we can get to help push that us over the line. I think special teams really could be that, except for the kicking game, as Ant said, because we also have had a shocker in the kicking game. Patterson misses a couple, though 
one could argue one or two were blocked last week. Badgley has an extra point blocked. If you can block us again and it not be Peter like penalised, that could be the margin of error because it was the margin of error against the Cowboys. We lost by one point. It nearly cost us last week. It could cost us this week. So it's going to be Fip has got to be on his A game, but I can see it happening because Fip is such a good special teams coordinator. Like there's a reason he's he got. I know he got voted fourth best by the NFLPA. But that's not just how he used to play. He's really damn good at his blocking, setting up blocking and the fake punts, as we saw a couple of weeks ago with JRM completing the first ever pass from a Lions defensive player in uh, franchise history. That's how spice he gets. He sets up fake punts running a linebacker a couple of times early in the season, fake punts, knowing it probably won't work to then set up a fake pass later in the season. That's how like galaxy brained he is. That's I would cool. just not I would just not send your like your punt units out or anything. Just keep your defense out there on every yeah. fourth down and punt. Like <laughs> Dan's aggressive and I feel like he's getting more aggressive as the time comes along. If it's anything near midfield, like don't send your punt return team out there because it ain't getting returned. It ain't well, I'm okay. it, sorry. You know what? I'd rather have our defense than our punt return team on the field. So I'm okay with that. <laughs> Right, we're going to go through keys to victory in the score prediction, then we're going to end the audio podcast, and then for just our YouTube and Twitch listeners, we're going to go into some questions and talk about the rest of Super Wildcard Weekend. So, with that in mind, if you do have any further questions, we have like 10, but we're free to take more, so if you want to shout some out at us, I'll try and answer as many as we can at the end of the show. But for now, our take on how to end this show generally is... What I call keys to victory, but it's not really that at all. It's assume your team has won the game and then work backwards from that. So yeah. the Rams have won, Peo. How, what's the game script to get there for the Rams? What have the Rams got to do? What's the single thing that maybe you think is the most important thing the Rams can do to win this? Because you've alluded to the fact that you think that the passing game is going to have some success, but you also think the Detroit passing game is going to have some success. You said perhaps the team with the ball last is going to win this game. But if the Rams are going to win it, maybe decisively, what, what are they going to do right that, that wins overall? I I think if the Rams is a higher scoring game where Stafford is on, Kyron Williams is able to, to you know be relevant in the run game, I... I, I would if this is a low scoring game I I don't know if like just because of the Rams struggles at special teams at the kicker position I don't see this being a game where okay we're gonna put the the game online with Brett Maher for even like a forty or fifty yard field goal I'm not confident in either of those um, so I I think if this is a game the Rams are gonna win it'll be because of their aerial attack um, you know and and I think. Cup and Puka, Demarcus Robinson. I could see having a, a huge game. Uh, you know, as kind of, he's kind of emerged as an elite third receiver uh, this year, and yeah, I I I think that that's kind of the recipe for it. And I I don't like to. I think what I'm concerned about, not just because it's the Lions. I would think this if any playoff team. I don't want this game to come down to a bad stinking call. 
Um, I that's frustrating for any team. You are preaching I, to the choir. No, I know <laughs> it. But, just don't put it out there in the etherverse, please. No, we, we, I'm sorry, but I I'll just say it. If the Rams win because it was stupid no call or call, I don't want that for for the Rams. I don't want that for Lions fans. Like I'll like I'll still take the win because like a win's a win. But like I I really hope it that it, it comes down to the team that played the better game or who, who, who came in and was able to, you know, get that last score you know, towards the end of the game. I hope that's who wins. If, if, if it happens again, where something like the Cowboys happens and it screws us, if you look off from the coast of Nova Scotia in the direction of, of Great Britain, you will see our collective rage. You will see the yeah. like, beam of light <laughs> emanating into the air where that's us at that point. That would be a killer. Like an active volcano will just appear. Yeah, the- yeah, yeah. Something we we will fling something at whichever ref it is across the Atlantic, wherever <laughs> it is. It will. We can't. We 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 can't take no more. Well, I mean, so was it Ram Saints that was the no call DPI? Yeah, it was that, wasn't it? For the in the Rams' favor. <laughs> yeah, and we had the we had the no call against us against the Cowboys. So, so the the karma would be to reverse that. I'm just saying. No, okay. Now, there's been other games. <laughs> I don't want that bad calls against them too. Okay, like this is not the Lions. It happens more often than not. It seems, but like bad calls aren't exclusive to just the Lions. Okay. No, I oh, want no, clean, absolutely not. I want a clean game. I don't want us to win because I don't want Mike Tirico's snarky voice going. Oh, it's a playoff win, but with an asterisk next to it. Like yes. you know, with the Chiefs oh, game, I can't. Hell. And Tirico's calling this, so I want like with due respect, I want us to win like seventy to nothing, so that there is nothing he can say that like there's an asterisk against it. Like just <laughs> winning enough that he actually has to tongue Jared Goff would be quite pretty. Like I, I would, I would, I feel. Don't I, I don't want to see. I don't think. I don't, I don't think his wife would appreciate that. Like Tirico tonguing Jared Goff would not be pretty. Right, and Ash, he's the victory for the Lions. I mean, we've probably spoken on this already, so maybe something unique. I don't know. Is some way the Lions can win that we haven't okay. spoken about? So to set this up, first off, if if us and the Rams played on a neutral field tomorrow with nothing on the line. I think we'd win. And I say this because coming into the game this week, all the pressure, and I mean all the pressure, is on us, realistically, in terms of, again, we go back to to Goff. This is a full circle in his career, a chance to prove everybody wrong for Detroit. It's the first home game in 30 years. It's the first chance to win a playoff game in forever. There is a lot of pressure on us. And I think back to some of the games where this team has first come up against pressure like that, like the Panthers last year when the playoffs became an opportunity. They got stage fright. They froze. If we're going to win this game, it's because we don't mentally succumb to the occasion. I think if the Lions embrace this playoff game, they embrace the crowd, they are fired up, but in the right sort of way that they're going out, playing their best football, using it to create momentum, to just go out there and absolutely kick everything in front of them, I think we'll win. And I would like to think we could win semi-dominantly. But it's all up here now, because this is it. This is the barrier. This is the big one left to get a playoff win. 
And if we get stage fright when things start going wrong, we've seen it in games last year and this year that it starts to get to them a bit and we get out of rhythm and the fans can get on them. If they lose the fans, they go quiet, then everything changes. So I think it's all about up here because I think on the day with a better team, just about. So as long as you win here, you'll win out there. That's that's what I got with this. Ash? Limit the explosive plays from the Rams. Don't care if it's on the ground or by the run. Don't let them get those big chunk yardage because when it's stopping the short stuff, we can do that. It's only when we let teams get the big explosive plays, get into the red zone early, that we crumble. Stop. Don't let that happen. Score some ourselves. Establish in the trenches and we should be okay. I know I've not said a huge amount about what I think about this game, just trying to be the good host. But for me, this is about keeping the game competitive until the fourth quarter. Because I think that Ant is on to something in terms of the fourth quarter for the, for the Rams. I don't think that this is a game the Rams will win if it's competitive into the fourth quarter. If you have a look at the games that they've played recently in terms of the Saints game, the Commanders game... Uh, and going back further, they've been like 20, 30 points in front before it becoming a one-score game. If the lines are level going into the fourth quarter, I think we'll win this game. If the lines are within one score, I think we'll win this game. So don't beat yourself, which is kind of an extension of what Ant said in the first place. But it, it's, it's larger than that. And I think it comes back to winning the trenches, run the ball. And I think run the ball more than people would expect you to, because... Yes, we talk about Montgomery and Gibbs, but actually the Lions team over the past two years has really, although it's had an identity of winning in the trenches, has won with the pass rather than the run. With Sam Laporta this year, but last year Leaf came into and was a big part. Amon Ra was fantastic. We were a top five passing team and that's how we won last year. And really, in a whole, it's how we've won this year. It's how teams win. But... If we want to limit the Rams in terms of their explosive explosive plays, don't let them have the ball as much. I mean, it's a very simple thing, and I know everyone talks about that, but it's especially important in this game, given the offense we're facing, how we're playing defensively. If you can keep our defense off the field and then actually just go at it and go blitz heavy, like Wink Martindale did in the Giants game, where the Rams legitimately didn't play as well as they could have done and should have lost that game. We need to be as fresh as we possibly can be on defense. So win time of possession, run the ball more than 55% of the time. Like, I want to see run heavy, not just balanced. Because if we can do that successfully, we win this game. So that that's it for me. Heavy jumbo sets. I want to see Dan Skipper on the field lots. Like, lots of cheers from the Lions fans just getting into it to stoke them up. And, and really, the fans have got to come into it too and play their part. There was calls for the fans not to just get loud once the huddle had been broken, but to do it before the huddle actually starts. You've got to do your bit. If you're in Ford Field, it's the most expensive ticket in the country. By far the most expensive ticket in the country for this weekend because of the narratives and because of how starved Detroit have been. Make yourself heard because you will be the difference. Um, score predictions, fellas. Payo to you first. I think... It's going to come down to Matthew Stafford, the Rams offense. We'll get the ball at their own 25 with two minutes left in the game, one timeout. 
and they're going to go down the field, and the Rams are going to win this game 30-26. to 26. That's my prediction. Um, Sunday is the day that SOL dies. We stick a silver stake in his heart, pepper it in holy water, and bury it in the ground where we never see it again. 34-20 for the Lions. I think mentally they're going to come into this. They have everything to prove and they're going to go out and absolutely destroy everything in the side. I do believe that. Ash? Well, I'm going to look kind of dumb now because I had the exact same sport prediction in my head, 34-20 Lions. There's this reason it's called a Sunday and we're changing that now. I can see Amon Ra for some reason. He's going to be pissed. He was pissed last week. We saw what happened last week. We got pissed after Harrison Phillips decided to kneel on his chest. Now is his chance to show the league pissed about the Pro Bowl. He's pissed about everything that's happened to him. All these lists he's got inside his head of the receivers taking him over in the draft. The receivers who are above him in the NFC Pro Bowl voting. All the lists he's got of all the detractors we've had this year. And because, as Ken Stroud points out in the chat, because of the Honor blue hair he's got now, I can see him just coming out and showing why he is a top three receiver in this league. 34-20 Lions. I'm not copying you, Vance. I did have that in my head before you Fine. said it. We can, we can have the same score. We're thinking along the same lines. Right. I'm going to go proper sicko. Oh, yes. Proper sicko. Lions win. Like or Lions like win 36 36- 35 with a final second two-point attempt to win the game. Oh, you, you, are, you, 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 you just want to phone the ambulance to my house right now. Like, and mine, he, I, he will literally see me, see me having a heart attack alive. You saw what I, happened I last time. I'm dealing with shattered ribs. I can't deal with that much emotion, Matthew. <laughs> I can't. With no cardiac cats this week. <laughs> I, I knew it would have that reaction, so in part, I just wanted to do it to you. But but genuinely, I just do think it will be a close game. And I mean, even if you reversed it and you have McVeigh going for two to win the game and not getting it, I could also see something like that. But I just and what if I, he does? I believe in us to do And it. you've just spoken that in there. What if they do two-point conversion to win it on us? What are you going to do then, Matthew? And I don't believe in speaking it into existence. So if it happens, it had nothing to do with me, and I don't give a you shit. You put it me. out there in the ethosphere that it's going to come down to a two-point conversion. It could be forty to nil to the Lions. Did I just make that happen? I don't think I did, but it could. You know, I'd have preferred it. it. I'd have preferred it to be honest. <laughs> it, it could be 40, 40 to nothing for the Rams. Did I just make that happen? Absolutely, uh... absolutely. I think we did. We increased the percentage by. At you least know what? I'd rather a blowout than a close game. Like, I just, just let it be. Let it be over early. If it comes down to like, can you imagine if it comes like, because Scott Hansen did it the other week on Red Zone. They showed Justin Tucker again, which is like cyberbullying at this point. The 66-yarder, the field goal that sunk us. Like, we got so many walk-off field goals against us that year that we're still traumatized by it now. We can't do walk-off things anymore. I, I don't. I don't think you have to worry about a walk-off field goal from Brett Maher and the Rams. <laughs> yeah, but that's just the thing. You would, like, get a last-minute drive with Stafford, get 58 yards away or something, have to kick it, and then he'd come on and just have the kick of his life, just leather everything he has through it, and it trickles in over the bar or something like that. That That is the sort of stuff that happens to us. 
So it, it does. Uh, we have a subscription by Pride of Detroit on t at tier one for their nineteenth month, saying if the Lions win on a two point conversion, I will watch the divisional round from a hospital bed. Thank you, Jeremy. Is that Jeremy? What it about is. if the Lions win on a flea flicker? Well, I don't. I'm not sure whether he'd be here at all for the divisional round if that's the case. But you know, <laughs> right? We're going to draw the audio podcast to a close now, and then we're going to take off the air for YouTube and Twitch listeners the questions that you've been giving us all the way through the show, which Ash is so dutifully listed for me. And my God, the list is growing. So we're going to try and be quick on those because otherwise we will be here beyond midnight, and I have work in the morning. Our next show is the live reaction show. On Sunday night, we start UK time, 10 to 1 in the morning, which of course is 10 to 8 Eastern time. So come and join us for that. The College Football Podcast and is tomorrow again. Hula Ball? Yeah, Hula Ball roster preview tomorrow. It'll be good fun. And then come what may, we will be doing the review show on Monday, win or lose. And hopefully we will be joined by LA Rams UK as well for that one. So... One of us will be crying into our tea. Let's find out who on Sunday. You can find us on Royal Lions UK on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And the group for Wild Boy fans is Detroit Lions Fans UK One Pride Worldwide on Facebook. If if you haven't joined that group, do join it. There may be news from us if we progress through these playoffs. If not, oh well. Um, the website rotluk.com, uh, where you can find a lovely blog post from Ant, who hasn't done a blog post for a while but the post itself has been getting a lot of really good positive feedback about Goff and Stafford so go and read that there as well as Ash's preview article which is going to come out very shortly as well. Peo just want to throw to you at the end here to talk about your channel again where do we find you and, and you're going to be going live as well through the game I think. Yeah I'll host a watch party I got a good group of Ram fans and company that we all react, watch and react to the game together we have a lot of fun Whenever the Rams score, I eat a Reese's Pieces uh, Cooper Cup, and uh, it, it's sort of a tradition on my channel. And yeah, uh, I do little skits about the Rams and NFL. I will post, you know, Rams-related news videos, things like that, and just trying to have as much fun as possible on the internet talking about the Rams. All right, that's going to do it for us on the audio show. If you want to see the aftertime, you know where to find us on YouTube and Twitch. Just remains for me to thank Ant and Ash, and thank you to Peo for joining us. It's been a long one, but for a playoff game... Uh, it's been fun. Can... Thanks thanks for having me on. It's been fun. It's been fantastic. Love to have you, and good luck for Sunday. Guys on the audio pod, good luck on this weekend. Get loud if you're in the stadium. Let's go Lions 1 Pride. On pride. <laughs>